Hey guys, and welcome back to the show for episode 44. I don't need to tell you who we have. We have all three of us. I think I'm the one third of the group that is not, you know, suffering from some kind of disease. Uh, Azil and Griff both have a cold or a flu or variations of these things. So, uh, I'm actually getting over one. So maybe we'll all be like a raspy kind of, uh, voice today. I don't know how it's going to go. We'll see. Are you guys, uh, up to talking today? <laughs> Actually, <laughs> I just muted to cough while you were saying that. It was kind of funny. Oh, wow. This is going to go really well. So, uh, we're back with, uh, Gigento Machia for the final issue for the foreseeable future. You know, Mira said in one of his comments recently that, you know, he would like to continue the series, but, you know, he doesn't know when that's going to be sometime after Berserk, obviously. Um, so we're talking years and years and years and years out, but he would like to return to it. So this new issue is set, set after, I'm sorry, I think it's set before the uh, six part. Uh, well, actually, uh, I'm, not, I'm not so sure it's uh, before. I think there's a good case for it being after. Okay. But it's not this, sure. it's, the thing is, it's not decisive. I've actually, yeah. me and Pearl have been thinking about it. Mm. And um, there's a case for for both things, but uh, yeah, I, I I tend to lean towards you know after. Okay. Well, the only really like thing I was basing that on was that I looked at some of the shots of his chest and didn't see the scars that he'd gotten from the battle uh, near the scarabs. So I assumed it was after or before, but that's not necessarily a decisive factor. I agree. And there's other things that happen as well. So yeah, yeah, there's, there's uh, you know several stuff you know about you know the nectar and the mm. wording they use. Okay, yeah, I can totally see it either way, really, and it, it's kind of inconsequential either way because their journey before that point was the same as their journey after that point. So really, it can be regardless. So for those that uh, haven't yet had it, kind of a summary of what happens here and beyond visually. We see uh, it starts out with the Empire um, trying to assault or successfully assaulting another region of the world and taking their uh, giant or the body of Gaia or flesh of Gaia as Prome words it. Yeah. Yet another giant, uh, a giant mm. stealing a giant. Um, and what was cool or not cool is we kind of see what, what would have happened to the Scarabs had Prome and Delos not intervened successfully before the Empire arrived. You know, the Empire just steamrolled them with the, the giant. So Prome and Delos lament that they weren't able to get there in time, which is a cool little scene. Uh, and I just like seeing a, another race that we hadn't seen yet. You know, this kind of snake people, serpent women, kind of Medusa-esque. And there's a little a little snake toy uh, Delos finds in the hands of one of them. Again, showing his uh, kind of... Uh, Compassion. Compassion. Thank you. That's the word I was looking for. Uh, when I first peered through this, I wasn't so impressed with it. And then I sat down and actually started looking at or trying to decipher what was being said. And it actually is a really cool uh, little episode because it does touch on some of the things I had hoped they would. You know, you heard me throughout all the podcasts asking, are they going to talk about, you know, what happened to the world? Are they going to talk about uh, more about Dallas and Promate? They do touch on both of these things in this. Uh, I only know that from transcribing it, but Delos asks Prome what the world was like uh, before um, all this destruction, all this change. Mm-hmm. Was it filled with? He asks, was it filled with life? Because you know, as you see as they travel, other than the squids, the, uh, the squid and bird 
creatures they come across. It's pretty desolate. You know, they don't come across other life forms throughout the entire thing, except for that thing at the very end. And she says that a super plume, uh, decimated life on the planet. And uh, every hundred million years, the planet suffers a catastrophe like that. But organisms always find a way to survive it. Yeah. Yeah, she says that even though there was this great extinction, you know, life still exists just mm-hmm. in different forms, you know. Right. It's cha- it changes and it adapts. And it's also because of uh, Gaia's flesh, you know, like oh. these, of course, are, they are worshipped like gods. You know, by, by the people who have them. But in short, when they are taken from the land, like what just happens in uh, this episode, like the land becomes inhospitable. You know, it reverts back to being some kind of, you know, not a desert, but, you know, it's a no man's land, you know. Right, right. And so I, I guess that kind of sets up the true conflict for this world is that the empire is hoarding these things and using them as weapons <laughs> when they could be sustaining life on the planet. So it's obviously reaching kind of a breaking point. In terms of how the planet's able to sustain all this change. Yeah. And there's a thing, promise says, you know, uh, when she answers, uh, Delos about, you know, have, there having been many living beings, she says there were as many as there are stars in the sky. Right. Which is, uh, I think a pretty poetic way to, to put it. Yeah. The, um, Prome also talks about her purpose on the planet. Uh, I don't have this full thing translated or anything, but. It, she says essentially that, you know, yeah. her purpose is to unify humanity with the rest of the world, basically return it to symbiosis, which clearly they're not even close to there yet. But it kind of makes sense with her mission that that would, it would be something like that. Well, I think it's a bit like she wants to promote, you know, life, diversity of life and mm-hmm. coexistence, like including with human beings. But I'm not sure, like, she puts humans at the center of it all. You know what I mean? Right. But yeah, well, yeah it's. It makes sense, though, that, I mean, if she mentions humanity, it's because humanity is the disruptive force on on the planet right now. So it would make sense yeah. that she would say that. I just like that, you know, broadly about this episode is beyond the text that we just kind of reviewed, you know, I can kind of get the impression while going through this that it's kind of like a sketchbook of ideas that Mira probably had while thinking about this world, while creating it. He probably imagined and envisioned a lot of different locales and – this is kind of his way of kind of, you know, giving a quick glimpse of what some of the different sites mm. of the world is in this universe he's created. With it, kind of just touching on them briefly uh, without really focusing on them too long. Because, I, I, you know, obviously I imagine it's something he wants to say more of, but he knows his time is limited. So he's covering a lot of ground really quickly in terms of uh, the atmosphere of the, of the world. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Well, it's, you know, it's, uh, I, I think it shows that this is a, a bonus episode and, you know, not part of what was originally intended. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't necessarily remove from its quality as a standalone thing, you know? Mm-hmm. There was one line I wasn't able to finish transcribing, but, uh, Della says that at one point, and you can see it at the bottom of page 12, that he's reminded of Prome when they first met. But um, I, I didn't quite get the explanation or the context for what why he was saying that. Do you have any more information about that uh, on, line, on, on what page are you? It's what, the what? bottom of it's the bottom of bottom left of twelve. There's a side shot of Prome. He's thinking of. Ah uh, no, it's because you know. Well, first thing regarding what you said about uh, you know the super plume or whatever. Yeah. Prom actually specifies that, you know, uh, stars descended from the sky and cracked oh, okay. and stuff like that. So in short, she's, you know, uh, 
and and it's you know mentioned that it's several million years ago. So that both justifies what we got, you know, before series was announced about Mm-hmm. It being, you know, taking place, you know, 100 million years in, in the future. Mm-hmm. And it also explains how things go. In short, it's pretty much like, you know, the, you know, extinction of the dinosaurs and stuff like that. Right. So it's not like there was a thermonuclear war or anything like that. It's more like, you know, uh, giant asteroid kind of, uh, kind of stuff. <clears throat> and, uh, about, you know, that, that part is because Delos notices that promise, you know, like becoming younger, you know. Mm. So he says she she was you know uh, how to say older or taller and such bef- before and uh, what well, <clears throat> it's because she's been uh, feeding him you know nectar as as you know as we know excuse me for a second I have to cough sure so yeah he she's been feeding him nectar you know because they don't have any food like you know when they're in that part she, they mentioned how they haven't you know seen any living you know creature for for days. Right. And they just keep walking and walking. So she she gives him nectar, and it keeps him going. You know, like fills his belly, give him strength and such. That's why you, you see him, you know, doing uh, sit ups a bit earlier. He just yeah. full of energy. So <clears throat> in short, yeah, she's being feeding him nectar to what to say sustain. Yeah, and she explains that uh, it's a way for her to conserve energy because by being smaller, you know, she like the way she she says about it. It's like. Uh, they see the car, you know. She lightens the load to conserve energy. She wore it like that. Mm. So there, there's a little shot, which is a bit funny, where you see her going to fill fill up the flask, you know, like <laughs> behind the, the stone. And so Deus understands that what he's been drinking, is, you know, like <laughs> it's of course, well, you know, it's not necessarily like you know urine or anything like that, but it's, yeah, it's bodily fluids, you know. It's a, it's a part of her actually. Yeah, she's been convert, converting her body to nectar. To sustaining, and that's why she, you know, regresses in size and you know becomes smaller and smaller. Right, and by the end of the episode, she turns into a baby. Which is yeah, pretty <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, at, at the end, she says like, like she's been deteriorated to to become a baby, but you know, she's like, oh well, I'm, I'm fine with it. It's all right. And and Delos, <laughs> Delos is like, oh god, I feel like a father carrying his baby, and he's like, ah, oh, it's horrible, you know, something like that. <laughs> So it ends on a on a pretty light note, you know, and he actually asks her if like she can, you know, regain her original, you know, self if she eats or anything like that, but she actually dodges the question just mm. saying, you know, she's fine with it as it is. Oh wow. That yeah, mm. so then that does kind of set it that it could be after if she is regressing like that, it's a consistency. Yeah, mm. why well, that's also the fact she talks about Hughes and Muse, you know, and uh, Delos seems to know what they are, you know, whereas he he didn't necessarily do it, you know, in the in the six uh, six episodes before. So there's a little things like that, but uh, <clears throat> he yeah. he had to have done about them though, because he fought against them in the arena. Yeah, well, I, I don't know. It's just a way, you know. It's what it maybe it was a way to set up some, you know, exposition for the the readers. You know, I, I don't know. Sure. Anyway, that, it's just the way they go about it. The uh, <coughs> he, has a, he has a weird reaction to the armadillo thing that attacks them at first. Well, act, act, actually, it's uh, it's pretty funny, you know. Uh, Promia mentions it's uh, a descendant of a tardigrade. Yeah, I don't know if you know these these things. No. They are, they are microscopic. Yeah, I, I'm not sure how it's uh, how it's pronounced in English. I think uh, I'm saying it right. Anyway, it's a microscopic, you know, kind of being like the mm. size of you know I don't know. <laughs> You know, uh, 
like a anyway. tick or something? Yeah, no, no, it's very, very small. Like, you know, I'm so when I say microscopic, it's oh, like, you, you mean know, literally size, like, you know, yeah, size of a micron. It's a very resilient, you know, being. Wow. They, they can survive in space, you know. It's like the only living being who can survive in space, you know. So <laughs> I, I could I could send you guys, you know, some kind of you know links, but you, you can find send us literature on this. Yeah. Anyways, they are pretty they are pretty funny beings, uh, very resilient, and uh, I don't know exactly what the size is, but they are extremely extremely small, you know. Mm-hmm. They, they call them they're also called water bears, or you mm-hmm. know. Because, uh, well, they don't really look like bears, but whatever. Anyways, they're very small and very resilient. So this one is, uh, a descendant who has evolved to become uh, a predator, you know, mm-hmm. and big. So it's, it's, uh, yeah, Delos is happy to fight it because it means food, you know? Right, right. So, yeah, so he gets beaten up, but he managed to, to, you know, let's say, take an arm from it. And that's yeah. why, that's why, you know, Promethe has to kill him and she becomes, you know, like she, she takes on that baby form. I was confused because the arm thing happens off screen and he kind of suplexes it and then he has the arm in his hand. And I kept wondering if we were missing I mean, and you see it squirreling away in the background too. So yeah. Know. Yeah. Well, the thing is, the fight itself is like it's some kind of accelerated fall. You know, like you yeah, see, yeah, sure. the tidy, the tidy great punch him in the face. He, you know, does, you know, uh, counterattacks and he's perched and he takes it and suplex. It's like in one page, uh, you know, the, it sends up a fight that could have taken up, you know, four pages, you know, otherwise, you right. know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I think it, uh, it fits with a motif of, you know, uh, summarizing, you know, uh, a lot of ideas into one small package. Mm-hmm. One thing about this episode is it, I mean, I don't know if Mira has been, you know, because he's been working on Berserk in the interim, it feels like this episode stylistically and just also because of its size and, you know, sort of, I mean, even the, the darker colors and, you know, the content, the traveling, it reminds me most of any of them of like a Berserk episode. Do you you guys get that feeling? Well, you know, for the color, I think it's just because it's set at night and it's not in the desert anymore, so it's yeah. less light. But there's one one thing is, you know, at the beginning, the shot of the dead uh, snake women, you know, on oh, the you pillars. Mean, uh, like out of volume 10? Or the yeah, nerds? yeah, it really strongly reminded me of uh, yeah. you know, the vision of the city buried, you know. Uh, yeah, I, I wanted to Photoshop, like, there wasn't a good picture of it, like one of their foreheads to put a, you know, a brand on there. Yeah. <laughs> The evil empire. <laughs> yeah. So. You, you guys both got that. I, I, I just didn't get that impression, but I guess looking at it, I can see it. But it's, uh, sure. Well, I mean, it's, it's a different. It's a different kind of architecture to the you know the ruins and everything. But it's similar. Like you can see pillars and you know the bodies sure. strewn over them. Yeah, you know, it's because yeah, these stone structures kind of look like yeah. you know pillars in the sure. same way. Yeah. That, uh, Greek. Oh, you know, Roman pillars, you know, uh, look like, you know, in that, uh, you know, that time in Berserk, so. I mean, it's yeah. just also the stuff with them, like, you know, camping at night and having conversations. And I mean, it felt, it felt a little more, you know, like a, a typical Berserk episode to me. The other ones, you know, were so, you know, yeah, it was in the desert. It had, it was, everything was sort of white. It had, yeah. uh, I, and all the episodes it. had this, yeah, this different sort of focus, you know, whereas this one is a little more varied and, you know. It reminded me of like one of the Berserk travel episodes where they would cover a lot of ground. Well, it's really, I mean, 
those that two page spread where there's three different depictions of them walking. It is very to me that is very evocative of Berserk. I mean, it's, it's like guts and puck together, basically. You know, in that yeah. section when they were traveling. But yeah, I think I think it's more visually than anything. Yeah, uh, but I, I totally see what you mean for sure. Uh, yeah, um, seeing this episode now, uh, kind of the delay in how it was released, you know, it, it was they took a, a Young Animal edition off to release this one. It kind of begged the question, if the issues one through six ran sequentially and there was a gap and then this came out, it makes me think that maybe he drew this one later in the game, you know, mm-hmm. after yeah. well, of course. Been finished. You know, you know it, was, it was actually announced. This one is, was done as some kind of last minute thing. So okay. I'm I pretty sure that. he just... You know, he might have just drawn it, you know, like in the two weeks interval, you know, between, you know, uh, episode six and now. I don't know, but yeah, yeah, it's been done afterwards. And uh, I wouldn't say as an afterthought, but it's definitely been done, you know, after, you know, it wasn't part of the original plan for things. Well, so, now let me be the, the doomsayer here and read into it negatively, <laughs> you know, like he might have the itch for this series, man. I mean, maybe this next Berserk episode, Guts is going to have a heart attack or something. I mean... <laughs> it's going to accelerate gonna be, it. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be similar and, you know, like, oh, well, Guts, you know, he had an unfortunate accident and Griffith <laughs> took over the Earth. So, uh, back to back to Gigiomachia. <laughs> well, you know, that, that being said, I think, you know, even though he said in the comments that he'd like to go, get back to this, you know, someday, you know, I, I, I think... Even, you know, taking this episode into account, it still feels pretty definitive to me. Like, you know, you know, they just keep on adventuring and she, she's gotten, you know, smaller and stuff. And, you know, but, you know, in any case, you know, I mean, like, I feel like it's still pretty much summed up and, you know, well-rounded and there's not necessarily more to know about it. So maybe he'll, he'll go back to it or maybe not, you know, but like, I still get the feeling that it's pretty much just, you know, uh, finished. Yeah. I agree. And, and, you know, what's also notable about this is that he doesn't necessarily open up a new chapter in their lives or their journey. Like you said, it is a continuation of what we knew their journey yeah, yeah. to be. So yeah, it, it is some more details. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, really just, it's really just, a, like, like, you know, like we said, you know, like it's a bonus episode. Mm-hmm. Like it's really that, you know, it's a bonus. It's a little bit, a little bit more of it, but. You know, like you say, it doesn't open anything more or anything like that. We we still don't get to know more about the Empire or anything. So it should just be taken for what it is, you know? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, everyone knows at this point, but at the very end of the episode, it does say that Berserk is coming back April 11th. We haven't said that during the show yet. So just for, for historical reasons, we should mention that uh, this is now the return of Berserk after a year and almost four months off, <clears throat> the longest time in the series. History, but uh, it'll be nice to have it back. Uh, there was a lot of discussion after the announcement was made about you know um, what we're going to be seeing uh, when Berserk comes back. I'm sorry, before I transition over, I'm sorry. Did you guys have more about Gigantomachia? Well, I think we've pretty much summed it up. You know, I mean, there's yeah. there are some details, you know, about you know uh, what you said, Dale's reaction to what Promise said, and, and stuff like that. Like the, the, the fact he mentions what when uh, Promise. Who, by the way, I think, you know, her, her discourse is very, like, like a, an environmentalist, you know. She's very, you know, she cares about the world and diversity. And he just says, well, you know, what can I do except just, you know, fighting my enemy as a wrestler, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. She doesn't necessarily, she's like, oh, well, yeah, yeah, you're kind of right, you know. So, 
it's interesting to see that he's conscious, you know, of his own limitations, you right. know, compared to uh, stuff like that. But yeah, other than that, I, I mean, I guess we've pretty much just, you know, uh, mentioned it all. Well, what you also said underscores kind of the importance mm-hmm. of Delos to her because that's the kind of person she needs right now to take down uh, these uh, titans and things like that. So it makes sense. Yeah. Well, it's just, you know, it still fits, you know, the general motif of the original, you know, Greek tale, you know, mm-hmm. the human warrior, you know, aiding a god in fighting, you know, these beings, you know. Yeah. I kind of had hoped that we would get some some hint about Olympus in this, since it is mentioned a couple times in the six-part series. But uh I don't think we got anything like that here, other than Gaia's flesh, but nothing about Olympus itself. Kind of like the grander... Uh, powers that work behind the scenes kind of thing. I'm assuming at this point that Prome is an Olympian, probably, given her power and her difference from the rest of the people. And we did, we never got quite a good understanding of what that necessarily means in the context of the rest of the universe. Is it mechanical? Is it purely supernatural, uh, like higher power stuff? Or, or else, you know, that's all left to us to understand. But, you know, Mira said he wants to tell more of the story, so maybe that's something he'll tell another day. Mm. Anyway, um, like I said before, Berserk is coming back, and there was some discussion on the forum about what we're going to see now that it's back. Is uh, you know, the obvious conclusion is that probably more Falconia because we did get that little one little panel preview of at the end of Volume Thirty Seven. It shows uh, uh, Rickert and Erica and those old guys kind of peering up at the statues of Falconia on the outskirts of it. Anyway. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it, so it's it leads... time to switch back to guts. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was sort of saying like, is and that doesn't necessarily mean that that preview that we saw is in sequence the next episode we're yeah. going to see. You know? Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it feels worthless to speculate about this kind of thing. We're going to know in less than two weeks, or I guess a little bit more than two weeks, what is it going to be. But I'm just saying like, it isn't necessarily going to be that. You know, the, the, to me, the way 333 ended. It felt like it was kind of like a. It was a. It was a good place to to to, to pull away for that moment. That the shot we see of Falconia and, and the things that uh, Raban was saying at the time, I didn't necessarily think it necessarily needed to go to the next issue of that. But I've been surprised before by that. You know, just the tone of things. Yeah. It could it, that could have let, that could have been a leaving point for them to come back to Falconia later. But <clears throat> since Miura historically has been very uh, kind of brief. With the, with the Falconia sections, and there's usually more of the guts section. Before he makes that transition to seeing Skellig, I imagine he would close this up before doing that. Uh, just thinking, talking big picture wise about how the story progresses. Well, I think we've discussed this before, where you know, because yeah, we've only seen it from the outside basically, and sort of like peering over the wall and seeing all the different landmarks. Where you yeah. know, I think I forget which one of us said it, but I think we said you know we might not actually get to see it, you know. Until Guts, you know, sees mm. it, you know, sort of a thing. You know, it might be like Man. that. You might be keeping it under wraps in that way. It'll be mm. the next, you know, uh, the next Skellig in that sense. But uh, I, I remember you I saying mean, that. It would also make sense if he wants to show us. I mean, you might want to set up, you know, what how the, the city functions. You know, yeah. how does this community work, the society, and what's potentially wrong with it? Well, well, there's I, certainly a lot to cover once he opens yeah. that door. You know, that's a lot of material and a lot of uh, kind of exposition to lay out for how the rest of that scenario mm-hmm. is going to play out. You know, you know, honestly, I think even if we get to see a bit more of Falconia, I think it will just be like one episode more, and it's still, you know, a lot will still be left mm-hmm. for us to know. You know, I, I think it's you know deliberately done to tease us. 
you know, and to, to keep a lot of mystery about it. So, so I think, you know, either way we'll get, uh, we switch back to guts, you know, pretty rapidly. Yeah. And, um, and I think a lot will be still left for us to, to guess, you know, about it and stuff like that. I just want to see the, the coronation in the throne room. I mean, come Fuck, on. I've been waiting for what? that forever. Yeah, you. Uh, you know, I don't want to jinx it, but you know, I'm not. I'm not. I'm sick. We we might not get to see it actually. Yeah, they might talk about already... it later. <laughs> like that would be the worst. Because <laughs> like, we've already seen. Like uh, we basically have a picture of the idea already with the Pope uh, crowning it, <laughs> and uh, like that takeoff on uh, on Napoleon <laughs> crowning himself. Yeah. Or, you know, yeah. I forget which one. Like how they did it. You know how similar it was, but. Uh, yeah, it'd be interesting if we got to see that, or you know, even if we don't see that, if we see after the fact, it would just be interesting to see like what sort of king you know Griffith looks like. Is he does you know is it going to be like the Wizard of Oz or something, or is it's it going to be, be a like, little more typical? It's going to be more Dune, I think. God King. <laughs> um, you know, actually, honestly, we discussed this before. If you guys remember, I think the coronation, I think that stuff has already happened. I think they've already yeah. kind of settled the power structure yeah. of Falconia. Given just what we saw about, you know, they're already sending humans and apostles out to kind of scout around the area. Yeah. Clearly having been directed by Griffith. No one else is going to issue that kind of order. So if he's already issuing orders, it leads to believe that we're already there. You well, know? I mean, he's already, you know, obviously king of, you know, and leader of Falconia. But maybe that would, they would have something like an official ceremony where, oh, yeah, this guy rules the entire world. Oh, yeah. You know? Widely uh, accepted, you're saying. Yeah, okay. You know, I, I think we might get to see the coronation as, as a flashback, you know, as somebody yeah. recalling, you know, recalling the... You know, recollecting the thing, but you know, yeah, I, I you know, I see, I think it's already either it's already been done, or you know, as we can, I hope, uh, it, it will I hope be. it's Griffith saying to Rickard, "Oh, you should have been there," and then he like looks up to the sky, and you know, they, they flash yeah. back. <laughs> no, but you know, I, I guess as Rickett arrives, it might be ongoing or something like that. But yeah, more, more probably, I think uh, we might see it as a recollection from someone. It's so funny. I was going back and listening to the earlier episodes uh, where we were, we were discussing kind of this exact kind of stuff before we saw 333, and we were thinking it would touch on maybe a third of what it actually got got to. So I, I think we could get even more than we're, we're thinking about. I mean, like I was going to say actually that maybe we'll get a glimpse of Griffith kind of on the horizon as Rickard sees him or something like that, and that's how it ends. You know, with that kind of weighty moment between what's going to be said or if anything will be said between them. Or maybe we'll just three pages in. Griffith's right there. You know, it could kind of go either way, in my opinion. Yeah, like super rapid pace, super condensed, or drawn out visual extravaganza of Inside Falconia. I mean, it could go a number of different ways. What I also want to see is if there's nothing explicit between Rickard and Griffith. Just him seeing, you know, the apostles, or specifically one, you totally. know, he might recognize, like Zod, yeah. and yeah. that would be what would really sort of give him pause. You know, realizing that yeah, this isn't you know necessarily all. All a good thing. Well, he's already got to know with uh, Irvine transforming. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I know what you mean. That that would really hit it home for him. That that's Zod. That's the guy Guts was fighting against. All that kind of stuff. You know, it's too yeah. bad the, the Count and Rushing yeah, out the dead. Snake, because... I was thinking about that. It's too bad the <laughs> Snake oh. Count. It would have been bad. funny. Oh hi, how are you doing? <laughs> hey, you're a welcome guest now. Uh, sorry about eating your buddies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, we almost enslaved you. Want to come to my <laughs> house? You know, one of these days. You know. Just talk about the good old times. It'll be yeah. different, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> Why well, don't you come home for dinner? <laughs> yeah. We'll move on. Um, 
we'll have obviously more to say about that uh, when the episode's out. Mm. So not a hell of a whole lot more we could speculate about uh, in a grounded way uh, until the episode's out. But really the big question is Guts or Griffith, but I, I, I tend to think it's going to be more Falconia given the pacing of things. So we'll move on. Guts we are all. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll see. I mean, hey, I will not, I will be not the first one to complain if the first page is, you know, Skellig. You know, two page spread or something oh, like that. Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, that, that would, would be nice. a super pleasant surprise. Yeah. Um, we are at our reread section of volume six. Um, and we will see how far we can get in this. Probably the whole thing. Probably no issues to do with that. This is one of those, uh, none of the, the pacing of, of this volume. It feels very in between to me. Both the way it opens and the way it ends feels like it's between events. So uh, uh, the majority of this volume does cover kind of court intrigues and, and the repercussions of court intrigues uh, between Griffith and, and, you know, the general and uh, Gut's role in that. This is all touched upon. So this makes up the bulk of uh, the first movie. <laughs> uh, it, how the hell did they do that? <laughs> but uh... – <laughs> Because like, I'm like I'm just looking at this volume and going like wow this is a, this is a lot of stuff like I mean it's just really deep content yeah like every episode goes really in depth there's a lot of dialogue in a lot of these so yeah this is a pretty this is a is heavy a volume yeah just I was reading through the other night and realizing how slow my pace was is because there's a lot of dialogue in it um yeah any more broad impressions before we get page by page stuff about where this sits in the rest of it. Well, no, I think you summed it up well. You know, it's in between events and covers a lot of the more, you know, political intrigue and stuff like that in the series. Mm -hmm. But it also, you know, has, it has quite quite a lot of important stuff, I think. But I I think we can talk about it as we go. Sure. Well, we'll go ahead and start it up then. So, you know, we kind of reflect Mm -hmm. on uh, Griffith's answer to Guts and Guts finally gets his response, which is he's kind of dumbfounded by Griffith being so direct. Uh, with what his answer was, and yet he still evaded the real question. He doesn't. He doesn't ever give him a real answer on, you know, should he give him a reason every time he risks his life for him. But guts is kind of taken aback by the look he gets from Griffith. Um, the king arrives, and you know, more so than uh, you know Julius and, and, and the tension between Griffith mm-hmm. and Julius. What what I liked about this scene was we get we get inside the king's head for for why he's favoring Griffith, what his why he's making the exception for, for kind of uh, validating the Hawk's success despite, despite the fact that, you know, they are a uh, technically a mercenary group that's being, you know, granted favor. And it's because he doesn't care about tradition. He's, he's shirking traditional values for results because those traditional values aren't what wins things on the battlefield. And after a hundred years of this kind of like gridlocked war, he'll basically do whatever he can to, you know, well, yeah, I think you know the king for all the bad things about him. I think he's pretty pragmatic, you know. Sure, and, I wasn't. Uh, that wasn't. I didn't. I didn't say anything negative about him. I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, ignore tradition. Yeah, yeah, of course. I, I mean, you know, uh, regarding what he does later on with Charlotte and such a thing, sure. I, I think it shows, you know, how pragmatic he is and in a good way because instead of just, you know, sticking to, to traditions, you know, he's, you know, willing to let things, minor things, slide. Because, yeah, because, you know, somebody like Griffiths gets results, you know. So I, I think it shows yeah. in many ways that he was actually, you know, a good king, you know, as far as taking decisions and stuff. He, he had the right idea a lot of the time, I think. I mean, he's downright, I'd say he's like progressive even, you know. 
Like, it seems like he actually, you know, he's not just being pragmatic. He actually believes, you know, this is the best course, you know, and, you know, yeah. like Griffith is, has earned, you know, his place, you know, and that makes him, you know, better. I mean, in, I've been thinking about this a lot during the reread, you know, just as we've been covering Griffith and everything. I mean, Griffith really does betray him and probably would have killed him, you know, yeah. if he, uh, if he hadn't been found out, you know, I mean, that would have been his pathway. So in that sense, what he did to Griffith, he probably did the right thing. Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, of course, yeah. Yeah, I'll go. I'll, we touched on it several times before, but and Griffith really was kind of a dangerous radical here. I mean, he's yeah. kind of in this perspective of the series, he's the hero in, in terms of the story. But clearly, what he was doing was he was a disruptive force that had yeah. no intention of you know sitting down on the sidelines the rest yeah. of his he life. Was, you know? Yeah, I mean, and you know, likely he was going to seduce the princess, kill her father, and then then he would be free to marry her yeah. at her discretion. After having killed, you know, like, you know, all his political opponents, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, right. you know, I, I always thought, you know, while Foss is shown to be like kind of a weasel and a coward and stuff, you know, he was actually, you know, he, like he was right. He and Julius were right, you know, in that Griffith was dangerous and not to be trusted. So, you know, it's interesting because, you know, these guys are obviously, obviously not fan favorites and stuff like that, but they were right and Griffith was evil. You know? Well, I mean, it's it's going against sort of uh, type in the sense that it's like, yeah, you know, Griffith is this, you know, egalitarian, working class, like, hero, you know, who's earned it on his merits, you know, and these guys unfairly malign him. Except that it's like, it's actually, no, they do unfairly malign him because he's a commoner, but that's yeah. not why they should malign him. They are right to malign him, though he is evil and, you know, yeah. often good. Yeah. <laughs> That, that being said, I mean, we'll, we'll get to these sections. We're jumping ahead, but like Foss and such, the, the, the reason they do things is, is for their own personal reasons. They're, they're, it's not like they're doing it to be benevolent. You know, Julius has his own grudge. Foss is doing it to maintain his influence, I would assume. I think yeah. he actually directly addresses it. He doesn't say he's doing it for the good of the kingdom, or does he not? I can't remember. I don't think he does. No. Either but, way, I, yeah. I, I know what you mean. The, the, the <clears throat> intentions were there. He, they see this as a disruptive force that was, and they fight against it. Either way. Um, what I like about this next part is obviously we get an introduction to Charlotte. I think this is the first time we've seen her. Yeah, it is totally. And, uh, you know, she trips Griffith catches her. There's a little, uh, dramatic moment there. Griffith gets slapped by Julius and then guts is ready to go. He's ready to just <laughs> go throw down right there. And, uh, Griffith has to stop him, which I thought was nice that guts loyalty that he doesn't give a shit mm. that this is the general this is the general of the largest yeah. most powerful army in the, the, in the entire kingdom <laughs> and directly in front of the king and all this kind of stuff he was ready to just you know he, he actually he only kneels because Griffiths you know tells him to you know in the beginning like yeah You're right he, he, yeah I should have mentioned that yeah, he Sorry. didn't even uh, see the he. I mean, it's like he almost completely missed the point. I mean, it's like where we talked about this in the last uh, about the last volume where guts is almost you know, completely outside of this world, you know, he just doesn't get it and doesn't care about it. You know, that's why he's not, he doesn't feel the pressure to kneel before the king. It's only when Griffith, you know, yeah. him, basically, you know, gives him the cue like, hey man, you're embarrassing me. Well, <laughs> the, the thing is, you know, like, you know, I get the feeling guts in his mind, you know, like, you know, what, what, what would happen if he killed, you know, Julius? You know, he could just, you know, run away. They could send anybody against him. He would probably manage to find a way to survive, you know. So, you know, from his point of view, as a guy who's spent his whole life fighting on battlefields, you know, 
you know, like these guys are, are no better than, you know, any other, you know, in that way, you yeah. know, very different from Griffiths, you know, from, you know, I think, you know, nobles being, you know, not necessarily better just because they were born into no- nobilities and, you know, commoners. And guys also like that, you know, he just judges a man by his metal, you know. Right. Rank has no place for mm-hmm. him. You know, in volume four, he was offered, you know, the chance at land and title and all that kind of things. And he just basically says, fuck you, you know, to yeah. it. Yeah. Which was so. actually, it's actually funny because, you know, Guts was offered, you know, like, you know, a way into nobility, even before yeah. Griffiths was, you know. Right. But but he refused it because that's the kind of guy he is. Yeah. We get this moment between uh, Griffith and Charlotte as they part ways. Uh, I'm sorry, before that, we get to see Griffith's kind of like game face he gives for Julius, which uh, really sets things in motion. It's a uh, nice little, you know, you know, he's saying sorry, but he's really saying yeah. fuck you, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the South, we have a, we don't, it's usually a woman's phrase, but women will say bless you, which can mean both... Oh, bless your heart, and also fuck you, you know. <laughs> so it's kind of that kind of moment, double-handed kind of thing. Um, we have this moment between Griffith and Charlotte that you know I always look back on things like this, this and their escape in the tunnel. It always makes me question if Griffith actually did have feelings for her or not, because obviously she's a tool, she's a, she's a vessel to get where he wants. But there are little moments where. You don't know if he's being simply manipulative or if she actually does have yeah, uh, an effect on him, you know? He's playing the game. I don't know. I don't know so much anymore. I Well, I think, I mean, obviously, he's attracted to her mm. because of her status, too. He's probably looking at, like, the throne there, you know? Yeah. Like, there's just put a castle on top of her head, you know, like, <laughs> right over her face. That's what he's looking at. And he's like, oh, I'm in love, you know? So Okay, well, then, I mean, if, if, if I'm going to be cornered for this point i was what about in the tunnel when he mouths that you know he'll return to her he didn't need to say that he didn't need to go out of his way he already well, had one over that was he was still he knew you know it was you know over yeah you know i think he hadn't realized yet i mean he was just going on you know falling back on instinct and this and trying to reclaim his place he was still sort of in that yeah. mode you know and but i mean i do think there is a genuine you know obviously people that you know even if people, you know, as they say, if you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with, you know, I think sure. because that was the one, you know, he had eyes on and he was going to be with, you know, he had, you know, he would, you know, just in the act of being affectionate to her, you know, he was feeling affections, you okay. know, and I vice can, versa. I can buy that, sure. But, you know, they have this little moment here, whether it's manipulative or not, and then Guts notices Griffith looking at her and the look on his face, you know, I kind of read that as – he sees Griffith having a life beyond the battlefield. Maybe I'm reading too much into that. I don't, I don't really quite know how to process that look. He's happy, but why is he happy? Why is he happy that Griffith is looking at Charlotte? Because well, he I sees he, the, the latter? I think he knows, yeah, I think he knows what, what Griffith is up to, you know? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He sees, because he knows his, you know, his ambition. So yeah. now he's like seeing like, oh. He's already got a shoe and a uh, foot in the ladder, and, basically. And definitely. plus, I think he also, I mean, this is just, you know, on a very base level, like, oh, you don't, if he doesn't want you to touch her, huh? Well, we'll see where that goes. <laughs> I see. So that's really reading into it, but. <laughs> sure. Uh, we get a little bit about Foss. This is Foss's introduction yeah. to the series. Uh, he's the uh, Minister of Defense. I can't remember what his actual title is. Sorry. I'm what do you mean? Uh, Foss's title within the. Um, it's just Minister Foss. I thought he had yeah. a title within the government. No, like, yeah, they just minister. Of- minister, yeah. Right, He's probably so. administrating, you know, finances or stuff like that. 
Yeah, yeah, it doesn't really matter. I just wondered if it was actually mm. spelled out or not. And obviously what's happening here is Foss is kind of leading uh, Julius along, trying to get him to get the the end result, trying to convince him that he wants what Foss wants without actually directly saying it, you know, being manipulative. And we've already discussed, you know, Foss's motivations here is both self-preservation and preservation of the kingdom because he sees uh, Griffith as a destructive force. Uh, it's kind of sad and I don't know, it's kind of gross how easily Julius is led and how he wears his emotions on his sleeve so much. It's just so exaggerated. Uh, everything about his face, his goddamn planet of the apes <laughs> face. Well, Foss, I mean, he didn't really have to lead him down. He just pretty much had to put the idea in his head, you know, to assassinate yeah. him. You know, Julius was already, he already hated Griffith. Foss just yeah. was like, you know, basically yeah. gave him the okay, well, hey. <laughs> You know, you're, the, method, you're pretty, you know. you're pretty powerful. Why don't you just kill him? You know, <laughs> like yeah. And I think it's easy to to lead Julius into it because you know, like he's a he's a bloodthirsty warmonger, you know. So mm-hmm. I think that fits into his character. Well, you I know, mean, he's... that one time when they had to ransom, you know, pay the ransom for him. Oh, God, you know, oh, man, you know, don't, don't fucking, you know, no way. <laughs> don't bring this shit into it. You know, some people might be confused listening to that. You know, he's referring to the. Gross, you know, anime movie adaptation. You know. What the fuck? <laughs> Just, you know, full I don't of know shit. how I remember that shit either. You know, yeah, it's, well, it's funny, Griff, it's funny that you mention, like, these little details about the movies and other podcasts, and I am 99% sure we are the only ones that catch that those are jokes, because the way you say them <laughs> is so dry. Like, it's obvious to me. But no one else is catching that you're, you're joking. Yeah. Sorry, everybody. I'm just I'm misleading the public. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I, I was saying you get to see, you know, his personality as well. You know, when he trains with Adonis, you know, the way he's brutal and stuff like that. So, I think it fits with his character. You know, he's uh, he seems very quite petty to me, and uh, just yeah. you know, uh, in general, you know, to not be a very good person. You know, just I mean, you know, brutal he, and violent. Yeah, he seems like he, I mean he's a hard ass, but it's like it's almost it gives you get the impression of him that he's like he's compensating too, like you know, yeah. he, he's trying to be he wants to be sort of the guy that guts is you know as a warrior, but you know and he might have you know he I mean it just makes you feel like he's you know maybe insecure being the king's brother you know he you know he didn't have the same success Griffith did you know he I mean even though he is you know this sort of tough guys guy you know in his persona you get the sense that he's kind of a a loser in a sense yeah he he's not you know like he's not the warriors that Boss Kong is for example and uh he's also not a king but you know you you can tell he wants you know he has he's, he has an ambition he's the second son you know <laughs> yeah pretty much yeah so let's see. So then we get uh, we go from that to sort of a weird transition. Guts on top of the, but I mean it's relevant later. Guts on the rooftop. Yeah, you know, looking at the moon, thinking about you know his place, you know, really in the world, and you know his place, you know, with Griffith, and coming to the conclusion, you know, he's gonna he's gonna fight for him, you know, and de- you know dedica- essentially yeah. dedicates his sword to him, you know, like a knight, you know, or something. Yeah, it's, it, it, I, f- I find it interesting because it go, it reflects back to what he felt in the previous episode, you know. You know, even though all the years, you know, went by, he felt he was only there temporarily, but, you know, at that time, and because of the fact Griffiths 
has been, you know, how to say, you know, has shown that Guts meant something for him, you know. He's decided to pledge his sword for him. It's not just, you know, because Griffiths is, you know, a great sold, a great, you know, general or anything like that. It's because he actually, you know, how to say, he's shown that he cares about Guts. That yeah, he's, not, you know, not just, you know, yeah. He's so, befriended him, you know, it's better than, yeah. you know, that he's made him his servant, you know, or won him, you know, it's like yeah. he befriended him. And so now so, he's got his loyalty in a much yeah. deeper way. So it's actually interesting, you know, it almost makes me wonder if, like, even that is not something Griffiths might have, you know, how to say. Understood. Yeah, understood and played on to, you know, ensure God's loyalty, you know. I find it interesting. It's, you know, more subtle and, you know, deep than it can seem at first glance, I think. I mean, certainly later, you know, he he certainly didn't intend for Guts to overhear him, you know. Yeah, <laughs> like you know, yeah, saying yeah. you're like, oh, they're not my friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, it's, it's actually interesting because you know Griffiths set his own you know downfall in motion, you know, yeah. through that, and it it shows you know how you know causality works, how the fact that it was all you know meant to go down in the end was you know engineered in the same way that yeah. it was meant to rise you know so quickly. But yeah, it's quite interesting the way it's done. But yeah, well, it definitely I mean, didn't mean for mean, him to hear. Yeah. Jumping even further, even more ironically, is that by the end of it, even if he meant that when he said it, you know, at the fountain, that by the end of their relationship, right before Guts leaves, you know, it's Griffith who's totally, you know, like as, you know, Griffith says, entwined, you know, like around his finger, asking him his opinion, you know, oh, do you think I'm not a nice guy? And, you know, yeah. you know, this very, you know, and Guts, you know, says, you know, wow, that's, you know, pretty uncharacteristic, you know, what do you care, you know, because it, you know, he does see him as his friend, you know, at that point, clearly, even if he doesn't, you know, yeah. consciously think of him that way. Yeah, and he's come to, to rely on him, you know, he's pretty much, you know, it's also... We're getting, you know, a bit far ahead, but, you know, it's also what Cascar, you know, you know, refers to yeah. when she talks about Guts as a waterfall. The way Griffiths needs Guts because he's come to rely on him, you know, to not only for his moral, you know, standing, but, you know, for everything, for advice. You know, that's the thing. It's not just about even, you know, being on the battlefield anymore. No, he, he needs him almost as a confident, you know, as somebody to tell him, you know, if what he's doing is wrong or right or too bold or not, you know, that kind of stuff. So, yeah. It's it's a mental thing. So, well, anyway, moving on to the to the hunt, I guess now. Yeah, another uh, interesting. I mean, this is really when you take these pages, all three of them together. It's interesting, is it's just you know we we get a plot in the courtyard, guts on a rooftop, and then a fox hunt. You know, all in like really like ten pages. Yeah, <laughs> why well, it's you know it still fits uh, as a fact. It's uh, it's yeah. a flashback, you know, and it's supposed to 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 move along at a fast pace, even though it's not the case. Well, it's interesting that we get to see, you know, uh, like these kind of activities again. It, you know, it depends the worldview, you know, showing this the kind of stuff nobles do on their pastime, you know. And, it really uh, actually is, when you think about it, kind of lame. You know, they're in this 100-year struggle where their way of life might be wiped out. and But they're still, this is like when people criticize, you know, Obama for going golfing, you know, on the weekend. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, during like the Russia thing, it's like, you know, why are they going on this fox hunt right now? Shouldn't they, you know, not be thinking about this? Well, it's also, it's also way, and it's shown, you know, uh, through Julius and everything like that. The fact, uh, you know, the band of the Falcon is, uh, hosting the thing and, you know, being used to, you know, how to say, chase the fox around and stuff like that. Uh, it's, it's a way to establish status. So it's, it's not just, you know, pastime. It's also a political tool, you know? Yeah. 
Which it's also why- just something to give the nobles to do, you know, when they're cooped up in the castle, otherwise. Well, I mean, yeah. I think it also adds to, I mean, if you do take it in the, why are they, why are they doing this, you know, during this war? I mean, it, it's more fuel for the, like, Griffith as, you know, your traditional hero, even though he's not, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, why, you know, Julius and Foss and all these plotting, you know, nobles are, you know, are the bad guys. Well, uh, Guts chases one of the foxes away and, and we get this little moment where, you know, he's a little frustrated that this is how they're being used. All their talents are being squandered in this stupid fox hunt and, uh, Carcass balks at that, which is another, he kind of has the come sort of the same exact reaction in volume eight, uh, when Guts chooses to leave and here's his reaction to it. And Carcass basically, you know, Guts is not respecting the fact that they climbed so high so quickly. Uh, and that this is a privilege to others, you know, that, but, but Guts sees only the pragmatic or the practical, uh, uh, aspect of the whole thing, that it is kind of a boring chore to be sent to do. And Kirkus, you know, uh, notice, it reflects on the fact that it was previously the job of the White Dragons, which are, you know, right. uh, Julius' army. So it's, it's again a motivation for Julius to, you know, strike back at Griffith. Right. I mean, Julius even notes before this whole scene that, uh, you know, a common born army is, is being given the job that a, a nobles, you know, noble born people generally have. So it's a first time thing in the kingdom's yeah. history. Uh, what I like about this next part is that, you know, Guts looks not hurt, but just like a little miffed at being told off by, of all people, Carcass, you know, Casca yeah. notices it and there's this little sh- shot where, you know, she's considering Guts' feelings. She's beginning to warm a little bit, I think. Or maybe she's, maybe she, it's either she senses what Guts is feeling and kind of reflects it. But really, I think she's becoming a little more sensitive to Guts and, and, and his feelings at this point. You know, I think the thing is, she also agrees with him and how he feels. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's one of the you other know, both. Yeah. She, she's a kind to sacrifice herself, you know, for Griffiths, no matter what. But, you know, pretty much like in that previous scene where she punches him to prevent him from disrupting Griffiths' meeting with uh, nobles, she probably also wanted nothing more than to go and meet with Griffiths and such as that. But, you know, yeah. so I, I think she reflects on that and on his feelings. And, yeah, like you said, maybe she's, how to say, after all this time, she, she's in the process, you know, which might, might have, you know, started earlier or not, but to reconsidering how he feels and, you know, the fact he's not maybe completely stupid and, you know, how to say, self, she, selfish, you know. She sees more to him. She's starting yeah. to see more to him. Right. But then she uh, notices, it's, it's interesting because mm-hmm. it's a transition. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where she notices Griffith and Charlotte, and then we get this whole scene, you know, between them, basically, development between them. And then it flashes back to her, you know, and we see her reaction. Of course, let's talk about uh, Charlotte and Griffith there, because it's kind of important. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just thought it was, it, it, was a, a, it was just a neat way to endear her to him. Uh, a, a clever device, Griffith does. Yeah. Because he, did, you know, Maybe uh, as a noble, as the the princess of the kingdom, one would kind of expect that you got to play up to that. But he he does the opposite. He plays like he's a child. Like he does this kind of like fun kind of game with a music with a musical leaf. It totally surprises her that that's the kind of thing he does to to interact yeah. with her, which I thought was kind of fun as well or cute. Also as well. shows how smart he is because I mean he can he probably notices that she's repulsed by you know the yeah. fox yeah. hunt, the danger yeah. the fox is in, and it disturbs her. And so that she right. doesn't, you know, she doesn't like war and all this. So he just, you know, instead goes the complete opposite way to show, you know, a totally different side of himself. Yeah. 
he plays it he plays it off uh, you know and shows that he's a nice guy so it's a, again it's a clever way it shows how clever he is you know he's he's yeah. playing her you know I, I don't want to sound too harsh but you know i i, he's I don't a sociopath think, i mean yeah <laughs> you know i mean you know he's not you know it's hard to believe he's completely genuine here you know like yeah he's oh, yeah. a leaf but you know he's obviously trying to gain our affection and succeeding at it you know and sure. uh and Casca sees it, and yeah, she's not necessarily very, you know, pleased by it, you know. She has, I don't know. She's this face this look on her face. It's very sort of, you know. I mean, well, yeah, first, I don't know how it, to the, describe the, it. It is difficult because, I mean, to me, it's like she's putting on a smile, but it's clear how she feels. She feels. Oh, yeah. She feels jealous, you know. It's you know, an I unhappy feels, smile. Yeah, I don't <laughs> yeah. think she's. I don't think she's smiling. You know, I don't think it's a smile on her face. You know, really. It's, well, uh, it's yeah. a, it's like it's a non-smile. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, like it's one a, of those things where it's like a. It's I mean, like yeah, it's not a, up. It's, like, it's not a direct like grin, like a Happy Meal grin. I'm saying like it's like a, you know, she's not frowning there. You know, it's a complicated expression. Yeah, I don't think it's a smile. She, like her, you know, how to say her lips are. It's you like know, a look of resignation. I mean. Yeah. Yeah, mm. it's her, her, you know, mouse is like almost, you know, completely horizontal. So to me, it's more like, you know, she's, you know, yeah, I don't she know. Knows, so it's she, kind of, it's, it's going, you know, you can see it moving like up and down at the edges. Yeah. And, and <laughs> so that's what gives it that, that's what gives it that impression. It's, like, it's you know, basically, guys, it's a look of hopelessness. She knows that she has no place in that world anymore. Why? Well, she it, just, she just knows what's going on. I mean, and it, I, I don't think she had any illusions before, but you know, it's different to know and yeah, to, to see, see it. it. You know, yeah, when you see it, course. it's different. And so she turns a horse away, you know, and Guts, yeah. Guts also knows, you know, she, he also notices and he understands, I think. Yeah. <clears throat> we get a little, uh, <laughs> then came, we have came, this moment. cameo yeah. of the boar, boar apostle shows up on, on the scene. <laughs> Well, I was going to point out that, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> we've got Julius with his assassin riding up to him during the hunt and being like, hey, you know, holding up his, his crossbow. It's like, not, you know, and she should be like, not now. We already discussed this before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're not supposed love- to come talk to me. <laughs> like- I love the guy's over-eager grin, too. You get, you get it earlier, too. Like, I'm going to kill him for you. Yeah, hey, Julius, look what I got. Yeah. You know what I'm going to do with this? It's like, yeah, I do. I kind of feel bad for Julius. <laughs> this boneheaded assistance. Um, this is a neat little scene here uh, where uh, obviously the boar scares Charlotte's horse off. Griffith has an opportunity here to rescue her, play the night. He's, you know, he's gotten a lot of fucking just like A-game opportunities here oh, man. To, oh, to, to woo her over. Just like, yeah. it's just, just easy at this point, you know? Uh, almost as if it's been planned all along. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Supernatural force, you know? That's right. And uh, as, you know, whenever they're, what's interesting about this to me is, you know, they're pulled away from the crowd. They're pulled away from anyone watching. And she opens up to him and, and gives him a big, you know, hug, which, you know, takes him, surprises him as well, that she's being that forward. Yeah, he does. That's right. That has happened. Sorry. I was thinking, oh my God, am I getting confused with the fucking anime? No, it does happen on the page. Thank God. Uh, and, you know, during this moment of, of weakness, it's, it's opening when no one else is watching, you know, he gets shot, uh, directly in the chest. I can actually hear the, <laughs> the moment happening in the anime now in my head. That's, that's how much that anime brainwashed me. Anyway, um, which it's another moment where they are fearful of of Griffith having lost his life when clearly that hasn't been the case. You get to see everyone 
everyone's affections pour out, you know, the immediacy of, of Russian Griffith's side. And then it's revealed that he has his Bible in his pocket, you know, the, exactly, like the, yeah. the equivalent. Yeah. And then, uh, the Behirat obviously had, uh, been dented to, uh, block the, the, the arrow. And while Guts is, you know, he's, you know, he's really enraged. He scares the princess, you know, he's screaming in her face. Right, he looks, right. He looks like a wolf or something. He's just, he looks like, you know, just so fierce. And then, uh. And I then like that Guts he, actually looks at, Guts, Guts actually looks at the right direction, you know, yeah, which yeah. I thought was really cool. I guess he knows general, the general area to be searching in, which is neat. But and it then, you know, him, he obviously. gets distracted by when he realizes it was the, the Behirat <laughs> yeah. that right. saved him. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, everyone else is just kind of like joining in like, oh, that's fantastic. But Guts wow, is like what a, a coincidence and Guts knows like, whoa, yeah. this is weird. Yeah. I mean, perhaps resonating from what Zod said and the meaning that Zod placed on the Behirat, it's different for him. But, you know, he know either way, he notices more than that they do that this is really bizarre. Yeah. So, I also like... Uh, Griffiths, you know, can tell there's poison on the our head, you know, right away, you know, like he knows it's no accident. Right, right, an expensive poison. You know, basically at the very end of the scene when Guts is, you know, starting his patrol of the area, Griffith, you know, <laughs> just figures it all out in sort of a lightning bolt moment of, you know, intuition and everything else, and he gives that death stare to Julius, who is very suspiciously riding away. He looks so guilty in the mm-hmm. panel. And, yeah. uh, you know, Casca is surprised because Griffith, you know, says very knowingly, you know, it's expensive yeah. poison. He already has an evil look on his face because he, he knows yeah. what he's got to do. Mm-hmm. And that's when we flash to Wyndham Castle and see, you know, Julius, uh, debriefing his failed assassin. Yeah. The, the importance here is that, you know, the, the, his fortune was utterly reversed from what he had intended to happen, you know. He intended Griffith to die and that would be the end of it, but in fact, Doing this and, and messing it up caused Griffith's, you know, fame to rise because he appears that he's, you know, the protector of Charlotte, you know, and that the king even gained even more favor with the king. So it, it's yeah. only going worse for Julius yeah. at this point. Yeah, it, it all played in Griffith's favor in the end. Right, right. And that he knows he's he's worrying about whether Griffith knew or not about the, the, uh, the whole plot and he assures himself that there's no way it's possible. I really like this next scene because I don't, I don't know what it is about it. I, I like the mm-hmm. fact that we see Griffith at his leisure, basically. You know, we don't get a lot of these seeing what other characters are up to kind of in, in the in-between moments. And we see that Griffith actually has this massive collection of books he's calling upon. And he actually says he's read almost all the books on the shelves, which gives us some insight into, you know, how he is uh, so knowledgeable of the world and things like that. More than the, most common people, anyway, having access to all these books. It's really cool. It's interesting because he's also writing missives and, you know, right, uh, yeah. So, yeah, seeing them and stuff like that. So it, it shows that he's gained, you know, status and uh, he's actually, you know, like it's, you say it's leisure, but it might also be walk in a kind of way, you know. Sure, sure. I, I guess by leisure, I mean away from the battlefield kind of stuff. Yeah, he's like sort that. of, yeah, him at home yeah. or in his office here. Yeah, it's like, is this his room? Is it just, I mean, basically, he's in a library. It's his library. So yeah. it's interesting. Um, and it, I mean, it's only a three-page scene, actually. Wow, a four-page four scene, but it covers a uh, pretty important scene, obviously, is that Griffith's ask, asking Guts to do some dirty work for him. Uh, and it's interesting how the way it cuts away from this scene to the night of 
uh, basically Griffith's asking him to kill Julius, obviously. Yeah. But uh, it cuts to Guts arriving on the night of the kill, basically, and then it, as he he remembers the rest of the scene uh, for the readers, which is. Well, I also want to just point out that sure. it's when Griffith, you know, basically poses the que- when he pops the question about killing somebody for him. He's got this expression on his face that's like, you know, out of a from a character in Archie comics. <laughs> he just looks so wholesome and innocent, like you know, like, hey, I need you to kill somebody for me. By the way, yeah. <laughs> you know, what do you think of that? Well, he's being so, I mean, very I just think direct. That's a, it's, yeah, it's, it's a great sort of thing about his character. I mean, again, the baby face and you know what's really yeah. behind it. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. I've always kind of just brushed over that scene because that look is so uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Griffith explains some context about who it is he's going to kill and why he wants to kill him. Um, and th- it's a really cool scene because Griffith's kind of walking guts through the importance of this, that it's different from the battlefield. It's not something you can fuck up. It's not something you can be seen by. It's not, it's not just a, it's not a heroic act. This is cloak and dagger shit. <clears throat> but, uh, and then he asks guts, you know, can you count, can I count on you? And uh, Guts is kind of thrown off by the fact that Griffith's even, you know, giving pause at this moment. He wants you know, to be ordered. Go ahead. You know, I'm I'm not sure he's actually thrown off by that. I think the the act itself is also white might giving you know a small time to reflect. You know, and then he answers it. You know what I mean? Hmm. I'm not sure it's just the fact, you know, I, I, I don't think the fact Griffith asks him, you know, is, you know, what, you know, gets him to consider it, you know. I mean, I'm not sure. That's, really? that's not how I read it, at least. Yeah. I don't see him hesitating. I don't see, because Guts' resolve is just so confident <laughs> and carefree at the moment that I, I don't think the actual mission, I don't think he cared about it. I think assassination, whatever, sure, you know. I mean, and yeah, just, I think from his point of view, it was more like a thing, you know. Where Griffith is asking him as a friend to do it, and he jokingly says, "You know, you can just, you know, just why don't you just tell right. me to just use your rank?" Yeah, yeah, of yeah. course. But the thing is, you yeah, know, he that... basically, but he's basically letting him, letting him know, "Yeah, I'll do whatever you ask me." Like, yeah, you know. Yeah. But you know, that time of pause is, you know, what I'm talking about specifically. You know, that little a... panel. Yeah, yeah. I think that's more to just, you know, I think he's more considering, yeah, like just their, you know, yeah, Griffith. Griffith asking him, you know, like as his friend to do this and then, you know, his response while while saying, you know, I mean, it's a very clever scene because, you know, everything they're saying is sort of, you know, the opposite of what they mean, or at least it is for Guts because, you know, he's saying just order me to do it. But that's really a, a signal back from him, you know, like, uh, you know, I'm your friend. I'll do anything for you. Anything you ask me to do, I'll do it. Yeah. And I think like I think he does it because, you know, of, you know, that friendship and not necessarily because, you know, he's his commander. Yeah. So that's why I think it's a very nuanced scene, you know. Like, I think Gus does it because he has decided earlier earlier that he'll do, you know, he'll fight for Griffith. And so he has, you know, given him, you know, his, you know, some kind of, you know, absolute loyalty. But, yeah, I I, I don't think, you know, I mean, that that small pause, I, I think is him, you know. Like considering what you know the task at hand is about, not that mm. you know he'd necessarily you know reviled by it or anything like that, you know. But uh, yeah, mm. yeah. I, I just think the pause is just the fact that Griffith was asking him, like you know, and that's what he addresses right after. Well, I don't know. I could see both. I could totally see both of you guys' points. I mean, I, yeah, it works yeah. either way. Yeah, yeah I, I think it works both ways, you know. And you know, it, it, you guys bring up a good point, and that the foundation for this decision and this this whole scene is laid a couple episodes earlier. 
you know, Guts devoting himself to Griffith. You know, now here's the first test of that. You know, here's the first yeah. Griffith yeah. testing the waters of that relationship. Well, it's also interesting that I mean it, it obviously plays a part later. His giving you know his sword to him and you know his his friendship towards him. It's like we didn't really necessarily need that scene to justify guts doing this, like to sort of you know excuse his you know actions for being an assassin, you know, or whatever. If you you know would look down on that, but it's more for about you know the aftermath and what Griffith says at the fountain, yeah. and how, why that hurts guts. Yeah, why, well, and it's sure. also you know I, I think that also plays a role in you know the fact. When he leaves, you know, later on, you know, it's because this kind of stuff is what he would have been doing, you know, mm-hmm. from the from the on, you know. Uh, yeah, we we get the scene with um, Julius and Adon where he's really just taking out his aggression against Griffith and his, his frustrations in life on his son, which is just gross. Uh, and you know, Hassan, this kind of caretaker guy, is trying to hold him back and. It's not really working out too well, and he's really you know, good at beating up on a little kid. You know, he's a, <laughs> you see what a tough guy he is. Yeah, and of course, it, uh, you know, the uh, the obvious parallel is drawn for us between you know Guts' relationship with Gambino and himself, and you know, obviously Adonis's relationship with his son or his father. Yeah. And you know, Guts basically empathizes with what the kid's going through, and it brings to mind you know Gambino and and this one little page here. And he uh, kind of curses himself for getting distracted during the mission. But it shows that, you know, he does still f- uh, focus on these things. Is this, that is still a part of his, his, his past and his background that he can't forget about. Yeah. Mm. Um, we also get some development for Julius through other characters as Hassan sort of has to yeah. explain him to his son and the audience. Like, you know, he's really not, you know, he has good intentions. He just doesn't. You know, show it very well, and of course that he's the next, he's third in line for the throne. I can't remember what they say, but yeah, he, he's one of the next in line for the throne as well. well. There was talk about him marrying Charlotte. I think right. was that. You know? yeah, yeah, that's the, that's the scene. Ew. <laughs> so. Yeah, so it's the king's <laughs> brother's son marrying the king's daughter. Right. That's that's first cousin. Yeah, he's causing, yeah. you know, marriage, you know. So, yeah, yeah, he's basically, but he's basically telling his son, like, you know, I mean, he's he's living through him in a sense, you know, like yeah. telling him, you know, you're going to be the king, you have to be right. tough, you know. Yeah. Right. Not just that, not just king, but, you know, general of the, you know, all the armies, so he wants to make yeah. him, you know, like the best warrior possible. And right before Julius gets slashed in half, we get a little bit of humanization here. He... He's not a complete ogre. You know, he acknowledges yeah. he maybe went too far. He's he's sensitive to the fact that he was just taking his frustrations out and, you know, he knows that was the wrong thing to do. But it doesn't matter. He's still a fucking maniac and he needs to die. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and we get the moment. Yeah, I mean, he is insane because he's like, he looks into the fireplace yeah. and like, sees Griffin's face. <laughs> I'm going to throw my wine in that. Yeah, like winking at him, you know. Like, oh. You know it is a really cool visually visual scene where, you know, the, the, the candlelight goes out. Uh, so it's dark yeah. and then Guts emerges from the shadows and it's really cool. And he, yeah. and he knows yeah. the door is open, you know, the wind yeah. goes in, you know, yeah. it's all sort of working together. It's one of those, it's one of those scenes where we can see on the page what's happening, but you know, the obvious impl- implication here is that it's a very dark scene, you know, the way yeah. Mi- Guts draws or Mira draws Guts and everything. Yeah. Uh, and there's Mia, Julius hoped there would be a battle, but no, he can't get a sword in time and get slashed in half by guts. It would have been a hilarious battle if it had happened. It wouldn't have lasted very long. Well, the thing is, he managed to get the, the sword, but sure, guts but is yeah. just fast. He couldn't know. even get a swing, you know, in. Yeah. Like, you can, you can see him rearing back, you know, basically. 
and it's already over. And this is a really neat moment where, you know, Julius uh, is able to identify him and he's clutching Goat's, Goat's cloak as he's falling and falls dead and starts bleeding. And Guts is actually like reviled by this whole scene. Mm. It's a totally different kind of death than in war. Yeah. And it's also just, yeah, I mean, the fact that he knows him and then, uh, yeah. And also that he like there's that moment where I mean there's a it's translated in different ways that I've seen where he basically he says he calls him you know Griffiths right you know in a sense I mean it's because he's also dying you know it could be stilted language you know but he basically says like you're Griffiths you know no well, probably, yeah probably he, he, Griffiths man or something yeah like. he he means he's uh he's one yeah. of Griffiths man yeah, so, so yeah he what... means he's one of Griffiths men but I've always I mean maybe this is wrong I've always seen it as a double entendre where you know. To guts, you know, he's basically telling him like you belong to him, you know, at the sure. same time, and this is the kind of stuff you're doing. I've always uh, read into it that way, but it's yeah, not well, necessary. Yeah, maybe uh, I I don't think that's how it's meant to be conveyed in the original, but uh, you know, it can be interpreted that way, you know, in any case, because he yeah. means you know, like he's one of Griffith's guys. Yeah. So. In any I think case, he, just ex- he just expired. Basically, he didn't get to finish his sentence. Yeah, he doesn't. Yeah, he can't finish it because he's, you know, uh, spitting blood. You know, so yeah. yeah. So and once again, you know, kind of reconveying it's a dark scene. We get a dark figure in the doorway and cuts reacts instantaneously. Uh, yeah, well, my favorite thing about this, and I'm sorry to bring it up, but it's, it's relevant, is in the uh, the original anime. They sort of mm. botched this scene because you can clearly see that it's the you know, Adonis and not just like some servant coming through the door or something, you know, and, uh, you know, that's, it, it implies that Guts would be able to see mm. them too. Whereas in here, they make it clear that you have no idea who this shadowy figure is, you know? Yeah. And I never so even he, knew that about the anime. I never even noticed that. Yeah. I mean, they don't make it seem like he did see him, you know, they make it clear that Guts is shocked, you know, when he looks up, yeah, but sure. it was just, it was a little sloppy, uh, direction basically that the yeah the manga unsurprisingly doesn't fall prey to well now that you've spoiled the scene for anyone that was following along the series through this <laughs> podcast sorry anyone say that guts killed Adonis <laughs> yeah is there anybody out there that should probably read the series before they read these podcasts listen to these podcasts anyway yeah uh, this is a gross scene, guys. Uh, pretty disturbing. I, I remember first seeing this and being pretty disturbed. I wouldn't say, but I wouldn't say it's gross, but it's meant, it's meant to be hard to take for the reader, you know? That's, that's, that's kind of all I mean. I mean, the fact that he spits up blood, he's got blood in his mouth and tries to talk, yeah. holds Gut's hand. It's all, it's, 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 it's gut wrenching to see this kind of thing. And because obviously Gut's didn't. Because obviously Guts didn't mean for this to happen. He didn't mean to get a, spear a child on his sword and have his sword go through the wall. I mean, it's just, it's all really uh, difficult. Well, and it's material. also, I mean, it's the, again, yeah. all these scenes with all these different sort of conflictions going on. Like we see, you know, Adonis reaching out to, you know, essentially yeah. the only person that's there who is his killer. Oh, and Guts actually has, you know, yeah. and Guts does have sympathy. You yeah, know, he think- does, you know, he doesn't want him to die. Yeah. He does feel bad. And he, he was reminded just a bit earlier whole you know, similar to where because of, you know, the yeah. Gambino juice, you know, uh analogy. So you know, it's uh it's you know, even you know, more painful for him that way. Yeah, the reaching out of the hand and, and the fact that Guts you know took his hand oh it's just brutal. Yeah, that he isn't just some brutal, you know, assassin that would you know like slap it away, you know, mm, finish geez. the job. Which the actually final... just makes it crueler. The final yeah. shot of him, uh, tears in his eyes and blood out of his mouth, cuts looking at his hand, 
realizing everything he'd just done. Yeah, uh, putting his uh, hand over his mouth, you know. Yeah, yeah, which we see again. Um, Gus makes his dramatic escape as quick as he can, trying to keep his identity hidden. Uh, I can't imagine he wouldn't be identified. Fucking massive sword, spiky hair. I mean, there's only one dude if, in the whole kingdom that has that. only he had like a... You know, like a ninja mask over his the bottom part of his <laughs> mouth and a smaller sword. That would fix oh, the scene. Jesus Christ. Right. I'd forgotten about that. Thanks Sorry. a lot. Yeah, we should probably stop mentioning these things, you know? <laughs> or is that going to be a new rule going forward? It's just <laughs> gross. He uh, mentioned it. It came from an organic place. There was an adaptation that addresses what he brought up. <laughs> yeah. Uh... Hassan arrives on the scene and sees everything that happened. And I, I love the, uh, his response to it all is, um, the fact that, you know, he, he realizes that Donna's his father, they died, they both died before they were able to reconcile the relationship. It adds so much more weight to what's already, what we already have. And that he becomes so, uh, dedicated to finding the person that's responsible for this. Uh, anyway, Gus makes his escape. I, I honestly remember seeing this happening and, uh, as it was happening, my first impression was that Guts wasn't going to be able to escape. That this was what was going to be the downfall of the whole thing. That Guts was going to get caught and Griffith would be pinpointed. And, and this would be the downfall. But obviously that's not what happens. It's just an idle thought I had the first time I saw it. But it emphasizes how uh, high tension this scene is. How important it, uh, how, how scary it, would, it, it, was, it was for readers. Anyway, I'm rambling. All right. Yeah, so... Yeah. You know, he, he manages to kill all the guards on the way out and escape. He takes some, you know, arrow hits and then uh, yeah. breaks into the J- sewer. Jumps out, yeah. Jumps yeah. down, you know, and takes a, a pretty heavy fall. But, yeah, know. he hits a rock, you know, on the back of his head when he lands. Because he, he falls off balance into the water. Yeah. And hits the back of his head, and which knocks <laughs> him out. And that's when he – it all sort of comes full circle where we, you know – he yeah. has, you know, these dreams about Gambino, you know, obviously relating to Adonis. And yeah, and, and, then, Julius, and yeah. then Zod, you know, the ultimate <clears throat> representation of a monster to him shows up, yeah. kills Gambino, kills him, you know, in the same way that he just uh, killed Adonis and it's his yeah. face instead, which is, I mean, this has greater implications beyond just the obvious for this scene and how he feels, yeah. but, you know, this is going to be a theme, you know, ongoing with him, yeah. you know, fighting for his humanity versus, you know, becoming a literal and figurative monster. Yeah, of course, yeah. And, and it shows, uh, you know, more directly that how traumatic, you know, uh, these events were, you know. And, you know, I'd say it plays directly after that uh, on the fact, like, he goes to Griffith in, in that state of shock, you know. And that's yeah. when he over, overhears, you know, that conversation. So it's quite, you know, it's quite important. Waking yeah, up. He, wake, I mean, wake, yeah, he wakes up in the sewer. He's badly yeah. hurt. Yeah. He's emotionally hurt, you know, to the to the core, really. I mean, it really goes this hit him deep. Yeah, he's really, so, I think he's really in a in a state of shock, you know, like that's a proper word for it. He yeah. he's more essentially traumatized by, you know, what what has just happened. Yeah, the and, look yeah, we this, get of guts in the in the bar is actually he looks yeah. we've never seen him look like this before. The look on his yeah. face. He he is traumatized. He's, yeah, he's, when he opens the door and and Casca, you know, catches on to that right away. Yeah. Yeah, and I have I have to believe it's not just because he's covered in blood. It's that the look on his face. Because she later notices, notices the arrow wound. So either way, yeah. 
So I'm yeah, from- and of course he's he's looking for Griffith. You know, he's looking for you know sort of uh, you know some reassurance here. You know, he's looking for his friend, and you know, is sort of thoughtlessly going there. Casca follows him, and uh, what follows is is what sets it all in motion, really. Right. I like that Casca. Uh, you know, we're jumping ahead a little bit, but she's the one that chases him down, and and she kind of she's kind of covering his tracks in a sense. The guts is wandering around, covered in blood. Still, obviously, you know, wounded from the from the escaping, and he's not thinking about you know uh, his own his own not as not only his own health, but the fact that he doesn't look like uh, he looks very suspicious. I guess you know she is able to cover him up a little bit and yeah. treats his wound with with his shirt with her shirt. Well, I think, I think at that point she doesn't necessarily, you know, uh, suspect that he's committed, you know, committed a crime or anything like that. Yeah, because no not, one knows about it yet. So yeah. she just doesn't know what's happened to him. Yeah. She, she doesn't want him to, you know, hot set to embarrass Griffiths in front of Charlotte, you know. Yeah, is, that's true. That's she actually directly says that. You're right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I guess she never finds out about this whole night, the whole implications of this night. No, I, I think she yeah. understands by the end of the scene, oh, does she? doesn't she? Because I think she she hears what happens and then she you know you know she remembers the arrow wound and she kind of puts it together. But she oh yeah, that's I, right. I, I missed yeah, that I, page. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. She puts two and two together. She's not stupid, but uh, but yeah. In any case, you know she knows that stuff has been ongoing. You know behind the scenes. Yeah. Well, this is obviously a very big pivotal moment for the series, both in, in Guts' lives and in Casca and, and Griffith, because we get to see a little bit. More about man. I feel really stupid explaining this scene. Honestly, it, <laughs> it tells itself so well. I feel really dumb summarizing it. Like, who doesn't know this scene and the implications of this scene? Like, well, you know, I, well, one thing I think is interesting. You know, uh, beyond what you're saying, is that w- we get to see Griffith's little game. You know, playing you know philosophical with Charlotte. You know, you know, before just saying that his men are just, you know, his men and not friends or anything like that. But, you know, he's playing his little game again, you know, whereas, you know, in the meantime, he has sent, you know, an assassin to kill, you know, her uncle and, you know, uh, cousin. So I find it pretty interesting. You know, it, it's again, it, uh, it, it's an important part to, how to say, set up Griffith's character as being, you know, that kind of stone cold, you know, singer who can, you know, put on a childish face or be, you know, fun and amiable and everything while at the same time he doesn't hesitate and doesn't even show anything as, you know, something, uh, something, you know, has been done, you know, like killing somebody yeah. and stuff like that. He's, and not, he's, he's not even nervous, you know, he can just, you know, yeah. go off on these, tan- you know, he can like in earnest pontificate like this. Yeah. Wow, he's, almost you like, know. he's almost like a con man, you know, uh, in that regard, you know. It would have I love how. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, 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 no. I was gonna. I was jumping ahead two, three pages. We're okay, not even well, there yet. Well, I was just gonna go on a theoretical tangent here, where I was thinking, you know, if Casca hadn't have shown up and guts and you know just you know stupidly, you know, in his like fugue state here, wandered up there, like what Griffith would have had to do essentially to like you know would he have had to disown him sort of immediately. Because yeah. it's like, oh my god, here's the assassin, you know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that, that's actually uh, interesting. I think he would have been you know, pretty harsh with him if he had done that, you know. I mean, and it's like, yeah, I mean, and Charlotte could have figured it all out, you know, after the news broke. And, you know, Griffin yeah. would know that. Yeah. And so it's like, I mean, yeah, there's... She's not pretty the sharpest academic. tool in the shed here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but, but I, I, you know... I think she might have still, you know, been able to put two and two together. In any case, and, I think certainly if he was still there when you know those uh, when the officials ran out with yeah. the news, 
then sure, it, yeah. you know that's game over. Where it's like, oh hey, that's the guy. <laughs> I just, I mean, looking through the scene, another thing I wanted to point out was that kind of how one note Charlotte's mind is, and it kind of it's just you know he's talking grandly about life and. Uh, what's precious to a, a man. And she said, a precious thing, like a family or a sweetheart. Like, well, there might be more to life than that, Charlotte. You know, he kind of reorients her what he's talking about for his dream. But I'm just kind of bothered by how naive she is. That's all. Well, you know, well, she's, 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 like she's a, been raised in a, you know, you know, castle of course, life. It's you know, she doesn't know. She's a teenage girl too. Yeah. And so, she doesn't know I mean, anything about the world, you know? So yeah. And she's already a princess, like she, she's already, you know, set up to be the queen, you know. So, yeah. you know, she doesn't have to have a dream or an ambition like he has because she's already living it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she already, I mean, she has like a burden of responsibility, whereas Griffith is trying to like sort of grab that. Yeah. You know, I mean, and I'm actually, I mean, I'll go the other way and defend her, you know, in the sense that it's like for her to actually call like a precious thing, like, you know, to identify it as family or friends and to not, you know, think of it, oh, you mean like a rare stone, you know, or something like that. <laughs> you know, she's actually, you know, that's not that bad. She's pretty, you know, she's pretty yeah. nice. <laughs> like I'll, I'll, yeah. give her, I'll give her credit for having that much depth. And I think it also shows what her ideal life might be, you know, like she's sure. surrounded by riches and nobles and stuff, but she, what she aspires to is just, you know, simple love, you know, and a simple life. So Yeah, love you know, and family. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's just different beings and their different aspirations, but I don't think that makes her less, you know, of, uh, of a person, you know, or at least, you know, more stupid or anything like that. Even though, like you said, she's not necessarily super smart, but at this point, I think it's just, you know, uh, honesty and, you know, being good hearted and, you know, just young and naive, you know. That, that's, yeah. that, that's all I'm responding to. She just she she comes across as a little boy crazy with that line and a couple other things. Yeah, or I mean, just, she is giving him like the, the googly eyes. Yeah, you know? that, that's oh, all. You're I really so mean. cool, you know. Like, yeah, but she does, I mean, to give her credit, she does recognize that Griffith is multifaceted. You know, it's not just that yeah. he's uh, powerful on the battlefield. He's also yeah. philosophical and, and is uh, play, played like a boy. You know, all these all these. I different- mean, yeah, I mean, he's like running circles around her. Yeah, it's, he's lapping her at this point. Yeah, and that's when uh, the maid comes in, uh, delivers the news. You know, actually, before yeah. that, I wanted yeah. to say um, the Casca. Really- you know, I think Casca's reaction is you know is important here. It reinforces what we saw as a previous thing, where she's ah. actually you know clenching a fist and looking down. So, right. Yeah, she's a particularly grossed out, you know, <laughs> like by that. It's, she's, it's she's the not, same reaction as, as we saw before in the Fox Sun, but it's becoming more and more solidified as they get closer. Yeah, it's more and pronounced it's, here. That her and that Charlotte's endearment is it's plain as day, for, even from yeah. far down the stairs as they are, you know. So yeah, she's, sense, she's resignated, but yeah. I mean, yeah. in a sense, we get the you know the idea. I mean, it would be better for her if Griffith failed, and then maybe you know you would turn to her. I mean, that might, that could be her really her only thinking, like, from a standpoint of, like, you know, hoping for them to be together. Yeah. If that's what, you know, she wants. You know, it's sort of like, I mean, she represents kind of like the failure of his dream, literally later when he has that, uh, yeah, that little dream before he finds the Bahir. Like, oh, well, you know, I could always have this, this beautiful woman that loves me, but, eh. <laughs> but he, but he even sort of loses that, you know. Yeah. He knows that, you know, so. 
But what's yeah. interesting is that she, like, even though she says that would have been the best thing for her, she doesn't, you know, she doesn't want it. You know, that's not what she's, she'll still, you know, fight for his dream, you know, regardless of yeah. her own interest. So that's true devotion. And as, yeah, we discussed a little bit earlier, she kind of, you know, inadvertently saves the day already, whereas, you know, just by stopping Guts from going up there. Yeah, and, but... And, and but, looking but, out for, you know, his best interest, just from a propriety standpoint, yeah. you know, don't go up there looking like that. Yeah, much like before, actually, much like when she stopped him, you know, going in, you know, when Griffiths was meeting with Nobles, you know, yeah. on his, you know, sick bed, so... <laughs> Oh, and now another touch. thing is, in the, at the end here, when you know the maid tells them, you know, Julius was killed and Adonis was killed too, and you know, in that panel where it says Adonis was killed, you know, his hair is going over his mouth, so you don't know what Griffiths. Actually, you don't know his expression at first. You know, you see, yeah. Charlotte, she's shocked, and we see Griffith in the back, you know, with a very neutral-looking face, and then there's the hair over his mouth when it says Adonis was killed, but then when it comes down. It's just full on evil, <laughs> like yeah, when, yeah. You know, that's a, his true face showing. You know, yeah. yeah. Not just the face; like, the whole composition of the shot is dark. Yeah. Um, Whereas you know, it was a, the reveal. Like you know, he's happy that the the boy was killed too, and that might have even been part of his plan. You know, for sending guts. <laughs> like, yeah. Thought, you know, he's probably yeah. not. He's probably gonna have to kill the kid too. So sending, sending him on that night, you know, maybe he wish yeah. he knew that, you know, they were training on that night or something like that. Yeah, it's it's very possible. I did want to touch a little bit on the dream thing. I, I know I've already expressed my, you know, hesitation mm-hmm. in, in in terms of trying to uh, break down a concept that is so fundamental to the series. You kind of have to be a moron not to get it. But just to talk a little bit about the 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 idea of it, it's one of those story elements that reflects the characters, drives the characters. But also parallels in real life. Like I can see someone using this kind of mentality in their lives and in the real world, not just a fictional universe like this. But it's it's a neatly defined uh, character motivation that you know totally is is grounded in reality. That being said, I think I always thought that the dream part was something that was very peculiar. I'm very specific to Griffiths, you know. Mm. Like I, I don't think that's something that can be applied to everybody. And even though, uh, you know, among the you know members of the band of the Falcons, they all you know can relate to that, you know. I, I don't think it's something that could necessarily be generally applied to everybody. You know what well, I mean? Everybody, somebody's gonna be the janitor, is what you mean? Yeah, I yeah, know. What I mean is that yeah, there's having ambition. But, you know, the concept of dream, of something that's all-encompassing and which your life is entirely devoted to, you know, is very, you know, hard to say. That's not something that anybody can do, you know. And uh, so I think it's, you know, you know, something that applies specifically to Griffiths, but it's also, to me, it's very linked to his character. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, because, yeah, not everyone has this, yeah, this dream where, I mean, it really is all-encompassing. Even the world, it's all-encompassing. I mean, he wants to change the the entire yeah. world by virtue so, of what he wants. Yeah. So the thing is, you know, for example, I, I think it's interesting because, you know, like Guts, for example, never finds his own dream. But, you know, like it's fine. You know, it's okay not to have, you know, a dream that's like Griffith's dream, you know. And, you know, I'm, we, we never get, you know, some resolution on Guts' part regarding that, you know. But, you know, I find it pretty interesting that, you know, he actually does try to find something that's equal to Griffith's, but, you know, somehow fails, you know, to, to do it, you know, but doesn't realize that, you know, he doesn't have to, like, he's very influenced by Griffiths in that regard. I don't know if he, I'm, I'm yeah. being clear here. No, no, you he, are. No, it's I certainly understand. something we've all he, considered. 
Yeah, he's very, like, he's being very influenced by Griffiths and also plays a part in him living later on, you know. Yeah, but of Griffiths, course. of course, doesn't see it. But, you know, like, his influence was determinant, you know, on Guts at, at the time. I also oh, I wonder mean, if uh, this, you know, another, you know, takeaway from this scene isn't that, like, Griffith gets the wrong impression of Guts from, you know, that Adonis was killed because they never talk about it. And if he just thinks he's fine with it, you know, and if he thinks, oh, that's real, you know, you know, he didn't mention it to him, but he's obviously pleased that it happened, you know, and, you know, he has to think, you know, this went better than I thought. And he might also think, oh, you know, Guts is, you know, he's even better than I thought, you know, to take care of that too, you know, that, you know, not knowing how much it, you know, it just killed him, you know, inside, you know, doing yeah. why well, He doesn't know how much it hurt him. Yeah, it goes back to what we were saying earlier in that, you know. Guts, you know, was, you know, really shocked by it. But for, to, to Griffiths, you know, he's, you know, he becomes, as time goes by, more and more of a crutch. And yeah. he's just a guy, he's a guy that just gets the, the things done, you know, like he gets shit done. He kills Boscon, yeah. he assassinates people, he just gets it done, you know, it's the same for, yeah. you know, false assassins. Like and he's going to kill the, you know, guys who kidnap the girl. He just, you know, he'll do anything. And another irony is he might see him as, you know, kind of a friend and an equal in the sense that he might think at this point that he's just as ruthless as he is. Hmm. That, you wow. know, he has no problem with any of this stuff. Yeah, that's true. But at the same time, he remains some kind of, you know, like there's a difference. Yeah, there's a difference between, you know, uh, having someone as a comrade in arms on the battlefield, you know, and fighting alongside him and such yeah. as, and such. And there's, you know, sending a, a guy to kill, yeah. you know, some guy. Is then it's just being some kind of underling, you know, some, you know, how to say, some, some, you a, a know. Tool. Yeah. Well, well, that, the, that's way, re- the way he phrased it was, you know, he, he did ask him, you know, like personally. I mean, it's interesting because there's lots of different facets and ways to read yeah. it. Because he did ask him personally and Guts was the one who was like, well, just order me to do it. And so it's Guts who's sort of putting himself in that same boat with everyone when Griffith says, oh, they're just my, you know, my lackeys and my subordinates. Where... You know, Griffith, you know, he, you know, he, I don't think he was thinking especially of Guts, like, you know, oh, well, he's different. But I mean, he may not have been in that. He might not have occupied that space. And he certainly doesn't, you know, by the end of their, you know, friendship or the relationship. You know, if you think about it, what reason would he have to to think of Guts other than that? What what, what opportunity does he have to process Guts as different from the rest until Guts leaves and then he realizes how special he is? Yeah. I mean, naked water fighting. I mean, naked water sports. You know, that's, yeah, I don't see anything, you know, specific, but the thing is, you know, did well, he really... I think before he leaves, I mean, just when they're when they're assassinating the queen, you know, and everything else, you know, Griffith, you know, just he, he he's he's a confidant to him in a way none of the others are, even Casca. Yeah, yeah, sure. But the thing is, yeah, did he really, you know, like, did he ask if Guts was okay with killing, you know, Julius? The thing is, you know, like, what if Guts had refused, you know, like when Guts tried to yeah. leave, Griffith, you know, pulled out his sword and, you know. Would have rather killed him than let him go. So yeah. I'm, I'm thinking, you know, at that point, you know, it was it really? Did he really have a choice? You know, it's always like that. You know, like yeah. so long that so long that Gus went along with it, it was fine. The yeah. day he actually, you know, had a problem, then you know, it wasn't fine at all anymore. So, you know, it also shows. It, it also reinforces the way Griffiths is as a character. Yeah. You know? How even if yeah, he just the way he uses people, and also, I mean. Maybe in his own mind, unlike, you know, more than the others, he saw Guts as, like, you know, maybe, like, a partner in crime. 
Yeah, you know, I mean, the way they at, the, at that the point, way they yeah. yeah the way they talked about these things behind the scenes, you know, like he didn't realize though, the guts wasn't totally on board. Hmm. It's how I'll inelegantly end. <laughs> that yeah, <scene. laughs> we get a color spread. The next section. Does anyone? I don't. I've never seen these particular pages in color. The shot of Griffith. Uh, the the knights know, I've seen. We've seen yeah, the knights and the flag. Yeah, I think. yeah but I've yeah, never seen the, the page of Griffith before. Okay. Uh yeah, I don't think I have the young anymore in which there are. That's one of those things I wouldn't mind hunting down if it's not exorbitant, which it would be, of course. I feel like I've seen it, but I mean, it could just be other color photos of Griffith, Griffith in that yeah. armor. I'm remembering and sort of. Yeah, I, I think that I think that specific shot um, was, you know, in fact, when I say I think, I'm sure of it. It was, you know, um, how to say, reproduced not- in the in the trading card game. So, oh, okay, <clears throat> that's probably what you mean by seeing it in color, then. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> Foss intervenes with Griffith and basically just uh, idle chant, trying to get a rise out of Griffith uh, about the uh, the knights. Probing events. him a little. Yeah, and he gets nothing in return. Stone cold. Uh, second guesses whether or not Griffith had a role. Obviously, he did have a role. Re- remains determined. But then he gets this uh, life changing look from Griffith, where as if Griffith knows. Once again, we see the you know the Falcon stare. Foss's reaction. <laughs> it's like a jack-o'-lantern when he says no. It's pretty funny. <laughs> I like Foss. <laughs> Just such a caricature. Um, you know, this next scene with Charlotte, I really thought was cool because I didn't notice until the recent reread that, you know, the scene starts with Casca. Casca's looking for Griffith or she's walking on the castle and she sees Griffith, but once Charlotte is there, she kind of, you know, stays out of the way and lets Charlotte and Griffith like have their Right. She doesn't intervene. She doesn't interrupt. She she realizes yeah. that takes precedent. You know, she steps back basically. Yeah. Well, so like she's like she's always been doing. You know, like for yeah. the entirety of the time. You know. Sure. She's you know stays mm. in the shadows basically. And you know, she's actually you, you know why she's looking at, for Griffith at the time. I don't remember the specifics. Is there a specific? Yeah. Well, you know, it's not you know plainly stated, but. I've always thought it was to tell him that she couldn't participate in the coming battle. Oh, wow. Yeah. Really? She, yeah. I mean, obviously that is uh, a problem she has, but I don't think I would ever reach the conclusion that she was asking yeah. to opt out. Yeah, I don't, because I always thought she realized, you know, sort of while they were, when they were already out there, after they'd already left. Well, I don't know, but, you know, she's already in armor. They're they're in armor, so they're already planning to go out, you know. But, you know, I've always been, I don't know, that's always how I've interpreted it, you know. Huh. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there might be something, there might be something to it, because the way the scene ends, Griffith just tells her, let's go. And then she kind of hesitates, like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Like, maybe she was. I don't know. That's a good point. Yeah, I sure, but I mean, remember that he puts his, you know, hand on her shoulder. I mean, she's sort of discombobulated because of that whole scene yeah. with Charlotte, and he reassures her. So I don't know. It's, I don't know. It could if, be both. Like, to I don't me, know. that's that's. I mean, it's a possible interpretation, you know. But I just, I feel like it's a little bit of a stretch. Well, yeah. I mean, it's not, you know. I, just, I like you know, it, but I don't know. Yeah. Plus, I mean, it's hard for me to see her as like wanting to bow out. Yeah, you know, this is like an important her, campaign. Not necessarily bad, but you know, but maybe like you know, not be you know in the, on the front line or something like that. Well, in any case, just an idea, you know. Sure. Oh. I mean, uh, just to extrapolate a little bit, it, it could have been as much as 
for this upcoming battle. They had to go to the battle, you know. I thought yeah. that, I always just looked at it like you know she was looking for him because it was you know it was time, time to, to head time out. Time to go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. Either it doesn't really matter. It's a cool detail though. Um, damn it, I had something else I wanted to say about the scene, and I can't remember. If you guys can take over for a second. Well, you were saying you know <clears throat> that we see Charlotte and we see Casca before that, but. I don't know. In any case, it's interesting to see that Charlotte is, you know, like she she starts, or at least she starts to show that she really cares, you know, about Griffiths, and she yeah, gives him a change the little, yeah, little token. night. Right, right. Which uh, which she's got from her mother, so it's something that you know, like from her dead mother. So it's something that's really, you know, really important. Really, yeah, uh, really precious to her. Yeah. It's, I think it's the first time we know that she is not, and then we're immediately introduced to the Queen. We're, we're introduced to the idea that she's not. Uh, the queen is not the birth mother of, of Charlotte. You know that there's yeah. some there's some tension there between them when the when the when the queen comes up. But before we get to that, though, I wanted to note the thing I remembered I was going to say was that <laughs> uh, does Charlotte know that Casca's a woman when she calls uh, out to her hiding behind the thing? She, you there, night? You yeah, she calls her. You know, it's a night, and, and, and later. <laughs> well, doesn't later involve? I think she says later she wasn't sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, she, yeah, yeah. she says she didn't know she was a woman at first, yeah. but she yeah. could immediately tell when she sees her the second time. Yeah. Right. Obviously, because Guts made a woman out of her. You know, right. I don't know what was going on there. But, I mean, she had – she had, yeah, she had – I mean, in, in any case, by that point, she had changed. You know, she had matured. She had become, you know, I guess – more, you know, I don't know how to say it, not necessarily comfortable in her femininity, but, you know, Griffin. she had definitely explored it. Talk more about becoming a woman, what it's like to become a woman. <laughs> I'd I'd rather not. <laughs> I, so I think we would have, this is, this is actually one of those moments where we're exposed as being like three white yeah. dudes on the podcast. Yeah, exactly. like, you know, it's like, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, hey, Mira wrote it. We're synthesizing, we're just synthesizing that. Yeah. Um, the Queen's character design, it just, just, just her fucking eyebrows seem really, uh, intimidating and, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? High society, I guess? Regal. Regal. Sure, regal. Yeah. No, she, she reminds me a bit of, uh, Maleficent in, you know, Sleeping Beauty, you know? Oh, oh yeah. It's that kind of, you know, like the, the, that headgear, you know, and the big, you know, robe and, yeah, you the know, way her face like that. is, you know, wrapped, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly, Fruit. yeah. Real fucking pretty. What if you have to take a dump when you're wearing a thing? What are you supposed to do? How long well, is it? Like, no, they weren't wearing any underwear, so, you know, oh. guess what? I'll tell you who it was done. They just squatted, you know, in a corner behind the stairs and just, you know. Oh, man. Get the, they had the servants lift up the dress, get the yeah. chamber yeah. pot. Oh, I would love to live back. That sounds rad. <laughs> Uh, unless you were that guy picking up the poop. Anyway, I'm really off the tangent here. I'm sorry. Uh, but uh, the queen, we, we realize there's some tension between her and the queen, obviously. And, of course, this leads into um, volume eight and what happens with her. I kind of wish at this point that Mira had introduced the idea of Julius being her lover at this point earlier on. Because well, how that was, I mean, was I don't know if he later. already had thought of that at this point or not. I mean, it yeah. could be either way. I mean, it would have been a little weird for her to – it would have been – I don't know. It would have almost been – I mean I'm trying to think how would it be introduced. Like what would lead yeah. her to I don't think true. that right I, now? I don't think it would have been appropriate because I think you know, that scene is you – know, like the fact she's not her mother or that she's Julius Lover doesn't really matter. She, she opposes Charlotte's behavior for a good reason. Yeah. Charlotte is I a mean, princess. She's to be the queen. 
she's giving something like that to this guy who's a commoner, who's, you know, it's not appropriate. So, so she chastises her for a good reason. I, I think she's actually, she's not showing any, you know, like she's not being a bad stepmother or anything like that in this case. She's just, yeah. you know, filling up her role, you know, as she should be. And I don't know if later, if, you know, when Mira wrote the scene, you know, in, uh, when the queen is being, is going to be assassinated, whether that was something he thought of then, you know, to, you know, sort of embellish on that point and, you know, like, oh, that's a really, you know, neat idea or if he already knew it now. But I mean, I think it's a neat revelation when we get it. Yeah, and it sure. feels, I mean, you know, appropriate. The, the question is, what, what's the queen's motivation for warning the snuff about Griffith? It can't be, it has to be something bigger than this, you know. It, it, obviously, he later lays it out, but. Yeah, but, you know, well, the thing is, I, I think the two things are, you know, decorrelated, you know. Like I, I, know I know what you're saying. This particular yeah. scene's not that malice. We get that malice later. I, I know yeah. that. You know, so her motivation, you know, for, you know, to, to kill Griffith is, you know, to get revenge on Julius, sure. But, you know, this thing, I think it would have been the same. Had, had, you know, I, I don't know, had, you know, Charlotte been having a romance with Owen or some other low-ranking guy, you know. Mm-hmm. Not that Owen's necessarily low-ranking, but, you know, yeah. he's not a prince, you know, he's not fit to marry, you know, princess of the kingdom. Yeah. Well, I also think something before we move on to them going out to the battlefield from this whole segment, I thought it was always interesting how it was Charlotte that pulled Casca into uh, that conversation with her and Griffith. Yeah. And brought her into the fold. It was, you know, a little irony where, you know, she was the one who called on Casca, you know, to join, you know, to, you know, started conversing with her. Yeah. Because Casca was probably going to be content to just hide out. <laughs> Until they were done. I like the, um, before we even get to the battle scene, you know, this is a great two page spread of the entire force moving away from Wyndham. It's the, um, it's one of those, one of those big widespreads we see of the whole kingdom. Really like these things. Once we see the commoners, peasants on the side of the road, one of them's missing a leg, has to walk on a little crutch. Neat little detail. Yeah. And yep. kind of stuff. this always reminds me of that color illustration I think Yura did later of yeah, people giving Griffith an apple. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Guts is determined, you know, he actually not determined. He's focused on that one moment. That's still in his head as they as they leave for the battlefield. Yeah, he's <clears> reflective, <throat> yeah. Right. Pensive. Yeah, and he realizes that Griffith, you know, doesn't really see him as a friend. That shot is interesting because it mirrors, you know, the cover shot, you know, but not with the same expression. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. I forgot about that. Um, what's cool about this next se- whole section is we get a little bit more information about who the opposing force is. You know, the the You're other assholes. side of the hundred. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> the other side of the hundred years war. We only got a brief glimpse of them when the whole uh, episode zero zero one, right? Whenever the Tudor forces were out there. Now we get to see kind of what they're all about, what how they're armored, how they're uh, who, the kind of people that lead them. I guess. I guess is the most direct way to say it, which is pretty much just a complete moron. Uh, uh, but he looks—he looks pretty badass and evil in this opening sure does. shot of yeah, coming yeah. over the hill. Like it's like these look like bad dudes. Yeah, I love the the harpoons on the on the horizon, or his tridents, I guess, on the horizon. Yeah, and then we yeah. see the close-up shot of them, and they're you know they're very you know it's it's cool and weird armor. I mean, it's an interesting yeah. thing. It's usually one or the other. You either you know this armor could you know be seen as kind of goofy. Looking like those, mm-hmm. you know, the sort of the fish mouths. Yeah. But at the same time, it is very, it's also impressive, you know. And I remember, like, later they make fun of this with Serpico. He's pointing out the, the Tudor contingent 
coming into the city and saying how they're very flamboyant with their armor. Oh, yeah. yeah. And they it's look old, even more ridiculous. Is it all nautical themed? All of it? I mean, the blue, oh, they had the rhinos, don't they? Purple rhino knights? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they had the purple uh, rhino. I mean, it's just, it's, I think it's, later they showed them in some pig armor or something when mm, Serpico yeah. was saying like, yeah, their style leaves a little to be desired. <laughs> maybe you know, Miura was criticizing his earlier, you know, ideas. I don't know. <laughs> you know, maybe he feels like, yeah, that was a little funny. Well, I think, you know, I, I think hard to say. I mean, I think it's very cool looking still, but it's just, it's, they are also funny looking. Yeah, I think it's appropriate. He intended for Adam to have that, you know, because he's yeah. at the same time, he's not necessarily a bad warrior, but he's, you know, he's so flamboyant. It makes him almost a buffoon at times, you know, yeah. so yeah. I, I think that side was, you know, uh, intended. Yeah, I think perfect, it actually he's is. He's a perfectly confident <laughs> fighter, but he's also a clown. Yeah. Whereas, you know, for example, if when you take the rhinos, you know, like Boscon's armor, it's also like it's designed after a rhinoceros. So yeah. it could, it could also be, you know, uh, how to say goofy looking, but it, but it, it doesn't have the comical aspects. Like I feel like there's yeah. intentional comical aspects to Yeah. Yeah. To yeah. I just think it's interesting that he made Adon. Yeah. Like you say, he is capable, you know, on, on any other day, he probably could wipe out. I mean, he takes out like six guys at once or yeah. something like that. So, yeah. but, but he's also, like we say, he is portrayed as some, somewhat of a, and when he's introduced, know. he actually looks fearsome. You know, there's oh, like yeah, I love that shot. background he's, and that's yeah, he's. I mean, the he's an elite guy. fighter, but he's also a jackass. It's just yeah. what it comes yeah. down to. It's, it's hard to respect him, even though he has some abilities. Basically, uh, you know, he catches Casco on a bad day, and, he, and the whole time he's just fucking mouthing off to him. It's really difficult to read. Just kind yeah. of painfully annoying dialogue from this guy. White or so. It also helps show, uh, you know, how, how to say, how hard it must be for her to be, you know, like a warrior woman in that kind of world, you know, where sure. that kind of shit is pretty much, you know, uh, a given for her on any day, you know. Yeah. And also, I mean, uh, we, t- we talked about this last time as well, or maybe two episodes ago, but, you know, of course she's going to get singled out on the battlefield. And, and again, I'm surprised we don't see it happen more often than not because she is a woman. But, uh, yeah, I mean, she but, could be the target of this guy. So the thing is, usually she probably just slaughters them and, you know, yeah. that's that. But, you know, this time, his boss, you know, Jose is strong enough to be a problem and she's in a bad, you know, in a bad right. day, like you said. Yeah. I love Guts, you know, coming. It kind of, uh, mirrors what happens in the future whenever he returns to the, to the, the Falcons in the camp. But he just smacks this guy off in one hit off of his horse and comes rolling down. Also, like, I mean, he's being as, uh, as blasé about it as possible. He just stops him and tells Casca, you know, he's, I mean, you can imagine it almost being like a monotone, like, you know, this isn't like you. And, you know, he tells them, like, you know, I'm having a real bad day. You know, he's in a bad mood because of, you know, what's on his mind, you know. So, I mean, he doesn't even really care. Like, he's not, like, engaged with, you know, he doesn't care about what's happened to Casca necessarily. I mean, he's protecting her. Mm-hmm. But he's not like angry or anything, right? He's looking for a it's it's it's, it's yeah. an opportune fight for him. <laughs> he's looking for but a distraction. I love the fact that he blocks the like you say he blocks the hit, and it's not even like he can express his concern for her. He's just like, "What's wrong with you? You know, you can guy, yeah. you, guys, you know." And he's not he's not concerned about a dawn either. It's yeah, just that's like, not yep. the threat. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, and then he. Uh, Takes off half of looks like half of the guy's face uh, with one hit. Really survivable, uh, Adon. <clears throat> well, oh, yeah. I don't think it's really half, but yeah, he yeah, does. I'm exaggerating. 
Sure. He, he does. He, he does clip a good, you know, a good, a good, you know, chunk of it. <laughs> and he looks so pathetic as he's reeling from his mouth open, his stupid crew cut, like General Leo. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, Casca's about to fall. Is that on a the Final guy. Fantasy VI reference? It was, yeah. Nice. Wow. <laughs> Uh, Casca's falling off the cliff, Guts goes to reach her, and, uh, Adon takes the opportune moment to have a crossbow shot in Guts, which, you know, wasn't he gonna fall off anyway? What an asshole. Anyway. <laughs> well, I'm not sure he might have been able to, you know, hold yeah, on. Yeah, I think he would have been legs. able to just grab her, but, uh, well, I mean, you gotta give Adon credit for, like, not just being, like, down there, like, ah, you know, my face, you know, and being, yeah. going into shock. Cause, yeah, yeah, he has lost, you know, a good chunk of his, the side of his face. He actually does have the wherewithal to, you know, get a weapon ready and retaliate. Yeah. It's strange though that none of the hawks while he's down there, you know, like kill him. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, especially after yeah. this. You think they would have, you know, they well, win the battle. On, How did he escape? They're focused on, yeah, Gus and Casca falling. But yeah, he actually manages to escape, you know. He shows, I guess he shows how much of a weasel he is. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's resourceful. <laughs> I yeah. do like that aspect of this as well, and we didn't touch on it. Is that this fight becomes a spectacle for like it has it has onlookers at this point by the by the end of the yeah. battle. You know that there is there is an actual full on you know battle happening in the background, and this is just sort of like the big the big you know showpiece for what's happening between the two forces. Also, uh, I think we should point out that when they're going over the cliff, there's this super gross panel. Of Adana at the bottom of the page, yeah. zombie. Yeah. Where he's just yeah, he's triumphant, you know, like yeah. yes. It's like the cover of Resident Evil One, actually. The original. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> a little bit. It's not a side profile, but yeah. Uh, Guts and Casca survived the the fall, and I love that Guts comments that he's never going to swim in armor again, because that obviously must must have been a factor in pulling them down the water. Uh, I don't have for a long time, but uh, did not work out. Yeah, I, I'm kind of going scattershot with what I say here because I don't, I don't actually have notes for this section. So, I mean, if I'm going too scattershot, please pull me back and say mm. you missed this part. You know, so uh, what I like about here is you know Griffith wanted mm. to perhaps chase them down, but he gets pulled back by this other guy. Uh, you know, them being a part. Wow, of- wow, wow, wow. Wait a second. Yeah, you're going okay. fast, and yeah. Well, I feel like the fact that, you know, despite, you know, Gus and Casca, you know, not getting on so well, Gus actually goes out of his way to save her life, you know? Yeah, and he's also, he has to do the mouth-to-mouth, which he's uncomfortable with. Yeah. It sort of continues their their awkward non-courtship. You know, she has to lay with him to, you know, there were forced physical contact, you know, but for saving the other's life. Where you know she has to lay with him when he's you know dying, and then he has to give her mouth to mouth. Yeah, and you know, and he's uh, obviously very uncomfortable more than her. Yeah, and so yeah, it's interesting. Well, and he's actually having to think. You know, we get to see inside of his head for for how he's going to how they're going to survive this. You know, they have wounds, yeah. they're cold, it's raining, they have to get out of sight. And then you see, There's yeah, all these you things see to the consider. Enemy. Yeah, there's always things to consider, and and he's taking her into consideration, her being unconscious and everything. So yeah, he's very mindful of all that. But yeah, you're right. His, I don't, I don't know. It doesn't surprise me so much. I don't think it's so significant that he. I guess you mean that he he did mouth to mouth, or that he even bothered to grab her off the cliff. No, 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 no. no. I mean, okay, just the whole thing that you know. I mean, obviously, you know, this is they're growing closer, you know, and. 
the mouth to mouth thing is just, you know, it's like, it's an interesting tit for tat and it's also okay, forcing sure. him to physically interact, you know, in a way he would not be comfortable in, you know, any other setting. I mean, he's yeah. not comfortable with it now, but he, he pretty much has to do it. Yeah, and he's reinforced yeah. after that because he actually also does use, you know, his, you know, uh, body yeah, warmth body to, warm. to keep her warm and as she's cold. But yeah, I mean, it, it's simply the fact, like, you take a guy like Carcass, you know, who actually, you know, tried to, to get a, gets killed. But, you know, even though Casca gave Gus shit for three years in a row, you know, like he still, you know, protected her against Adam while he didn't have to. And when she fell, he grabbed her and, you know, kept her, you know, even though he was sinking in the river. And then, you know, uh, how to say, give her mouth to mouth. So it's nothing special, but, you know, uh, it's, I think it adds to his character and to their relationship, you know, very, very simply. Yeah. I'm I'm just not so convinced he wouldn't do the same for somebody else, you know. Well, well yeah, it's not like he's going out of his way. I mean, it's just yeah. I mean, like I think that's what as means by it adds to it shows his character. I mean, yeah, like sure. yeah. you know, even though he's like you know, like he kills somebody for Griffiths, but you know, but he's a good time, guy. Yeah, he, he's he just shows him as a good guy. Yeah, pretty much exactly. You okay, know, it shows sure. that he's that you know he's a good guy. You know, you know, uh, how to say at his heart, you know, at his core. Sure. Which is not the case for pretty much like anyone else in the series. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, if, like, if it was Raban, uh... Raban and Owen, they do mouth to mouth. Yeah, to each other, but you know, not necessarily because they're wounded. You know, <laughs> yeah, they also... in their hearts. Yeah, <laughs> so... yeah. But that's, uh... that sweet beard, man. That sweet beard. Oh. <laughs> this is a nice beard. It's very full and well, formed. Yeah, actually, it reminds me of yours. Thank you. I'm yeah. flattered. Next time we meet up, we should we got. Yeah, should I no. sign off? I mean, you know. Yeah, <laughs> You're, yeah we're done here. Yeah. <laughs> um. So I'll. You know what I was trying to say was, uh, Griffith does express concern for obviously you know two of his most you know influential leaders falling off of a yeah. cliff, but you know Judo thinks they could probably survive. You know, guts being who guts is. What yeah. I like is you know there's a moment of hesitation for Griffith. <laughs> Uh, but he's pensive about that, what had happened. But, you know, this other guy pulls him back saying that, you know, it, it's totally uncalled for to stop the entire army's movement to search for yeah. two lieutenants or whatever they are in the, in the army. It also shows so, the politically, I think, like the, the tough position Griffith is in. Because, I mean, he's got these, you know, clearly one guy seems pretty neutral, but then you've got these a-hole officials yeah, who yeah. are, you know, laughing, you know, like, oh, they've, you know, the, you know, these two great leaders, you know, they both got taken out. What, you know, what a bunch of losers and they're laughing at them. And you can see Judo is, you know, he's pissed. And even Corcus. Yeah. You know, Corcus no, it's Gast- looks, I think uh, it's, it's Gaston, actually, you know? Yeah, oh, it's Gaston. Okay. Yeah, who's playing clearly enough. Yeah. Okay. Clenching his fist, you know, like he I was. To... I was trying to give Carcass some extra character development that he didn't deserve. Yeah, Sorry. <laughs> yeah. He didn't give a shit. He was with the guys was... laughing. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there he is in the back now. Uh, yeah. But yeah, and Griffith has a real pained look on his face, actually, with the lightning bolt, you know, coming down behind him, you know, where he sort of he can't really go and help them at this point. I also like how sarcastically the guys are like, oh, I'm sure they can survive. Yeah, okay, let's just get out of here now. Yeah, well, and it's also, well, you know what, I, I'm going to go back on my last interpretation. It might actually just be the suspense of is he going to help them or not, you know, because of what he said before. And, you know, he looks like he's got a pain decision to make. Mm. Yeah, you know, yeah, but pretty you don't much. Know, 
Yeah, so it might just leave it, it. That might just be for the audience's benefit. Like, is Griffith, you know, does he really care or not at all? And so, you know, when well, they do, he, he does. He does seem bothered by it. You know, like that, yeah. that shot of his. He he does seem to be in a like he, to have a pretty big dilemma because what yeah. the guy, what the neutral guy says, is actually true. Like they don't even know if they're dead or alive, and you know they yeah. should concentrate on defeating the enemy before sending him a rescue team. You know, so it's you know hard to say. It's what well, I think. I it's think later we the, his answer is revealed, isn't it? When he, you know, uh, Judo yeah. explains that he said that they were important and that you know, yeah, we yeah, had he, to he sent a, he sent a rescue party anyway. Yeah. He didn't care what they said, right? So yeah, but a little suspense he, at this point. He didn't show up there personally. Yeah. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh or, come on! No, no, or, or don't, <laughs> don't do that. No, you know, I wonder that. what he how he would have behaved if he had showed up. Personally, uh-huh. he probably would have wouldn't just... have had any reaction at all. It would have been yeah. like he wasn't even there. <laughs> Stop these references to the fucking movies. Stop wait, 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 what are you talking about? We're just talking you know? about these yeah. are academic, like you know. You know imagine, <laughs> like, imagine somebody listening to this, you know, podcast ten years from now. Do you when think the... that Griffith likes dolphin? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> just, just theoretically. <laughs> <laughs> I had to think about that one at a party, or you know. Um, <clears throat> Gus, Gus, take, Gus is taking care of Casca, you know, having to remove her clothes. But he's 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 worried about it. You know, he's he's a little uh, he hesitates on doing it. Does he really want to do this? Does he really want to get this close to this person? You know, his personal space of this person. Uh, but he does it because he you know he has to help her survive. It's the only way yeah, to do I mean, it. He basically oh. says he can't do anything else. Yeah. I love, I don't, it's funny the way they reveal the fact that she has her period because there's this shot of guts that's almost it's like it's drawn by somebody else. It, it, it kind of flashes, uh, inverse colors for a moment there with the guts hair. And then we see it and then, uh, kind of like almost, almost super deformed comical guts has this like look on his face. Like, uh, oh, oh, that's, yeah. oh, It's revealed yeah. actually, I think, more interesting on the page before where he's got like the blood on his two fingers, you yeah. know, just like, you know, it's like, that's what he does, yeah. He, he asks, does he, was she wounded, you know? Yeah. Top of the page. Yeah. And then when he and, realizes what's going on. Yeah, yeah and then he's period. immediately sympathetic and he says it must be rough being a woman. It's this very genuine look on his face as he's caring for her, you know, at that moment, which is cool. And then, of course, the shot ends, the episode ends with him holding her. Very manly looking, like Conan in the under yeah. the trees there. Yeah, with his sword in hand. Yeah, that could be like a Frank Frazetta calendar shot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sword in one end, woman in another. That's how yeah. every match live. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man, I really like this shot. Wow, I didn't really notice how much I liked that before. Uh, as yeah. the episode starts, we get a flash forward of Casca, but the next page, the guts is backlit for Casca, and she just sees the figure of him and. Um, I don't know what it is about that that makes me resonate with me. Something about how Guts is, I don't know, something about Guts' character, her seeing him. I like the shot a lot. Yeah. Why is that that shot of, you know, her face as she emerges and sees him, you know, and it's very, you know. I guess it's lighting. It's just very stylistic. Yeah, yeah. It's the lighting and the way it's almost hard to say. It's almost a hint of what's to come between them, you know. Totally, yeah. I just had this. Never mind. I won't talk about it. Um, Were you going to talk about cover, the leaves, sir? No, no. I might. I also okay. say, yeah, he did, he did cover up with leaves, and uh, yeah. but then she then she realizes what has happened. Guts is trying to ease her into what had happened, which is what I like about it. He's he's talking her down, talking her about, it, and then she once she realizes it, 
shit yeah. hits the fan and he knows shit's going to hit the fan. So he's trying to like, you know, hold her back. It's a very comical scene. It's like, it's actually kind of the start of what we see between them two. He, yeah. Kind of he still, he still underestimates how big it's going to be. Like he's saying like, Hey, yeah. you know I mean? He's almost yeah. doing, he's doing it almost from like this heady place of, you know, I had no, like they're going to have an argument about it or, un- yeah. or weird feelings. Whereas she's just, you know, absolutely pissed. Yeah. And sucker punches him again. Him handing her a makeshift tampon probably didn't help matters in terms of tact. <laughs> what's this? And yeah, that's what's that look? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh man, she threw a whole sword at him. <clears throat> oh, Jesus fuck! <laughs> I couldn't resist. Yeah, I know you couldn't it's, it's, resist. It's, it's infectious. <laughs> you know, don't, don't blame me you. anymore. Yeah, Azil's gonna leave. Azil's gonna retire. He's gonna yeah, leave. I'm gonna, I'm gonna fly over and retire you, you fucker. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Mm. Apologies unaccepted. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well. There is a very, uh, like, comic book. I mean, this is, like, right out of the funny pages. The shot of him sort of exploding out of the cave with all of the stuff following him. Yeah, yeah. totally. <laughs> And he's like, you know, I don't know, he's running like a dog, you know, on he his looks yeah. like, arms and you know, he looks, he looks like Isidro here. Yeah. Well, Isidro well, has yeah. that one, Isidro has that one panel where he's doing something like that. I know what you're talking yeah. about. Well, the, it's interesting. Just the face too, like. Yeah. It's interesting it's to he, mention this because, you know, like, you know, a lot of people think we, you know, like the Golden Age, didn't have any, you know, comic, you know, really funny thing like that. But we actually do see these scenes, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it gets heavy in like volume ten and stuff like that. There's a lot of there's a lot of small asides that are totally 100 percent comedic. So yeah. And also, I think it's easier here because like the the style at this time, like that shot of guts, you know, before he's exploding out of the cave where he's got, you know, he's just been punched in the face and yeah. there's like blood running down his mouth. That's a comical look on his face that's still yeah. semi serious. Whereas later, you know, Mira's art becomes so like detailed and you know more hyper-realistic that it's it's hard to blend those things without him just totally switching like he does where he makes yeah. them, you know, like little... It has to be like a little caricature. You know, it's hard to like blend it as, as seamlessly as it is here. Yeah. I think that's I also guess. a reason people don't recognize... Yeah, the difference is more marked. Yeah, I see what you mean. This The whole... The significance of these next few scenes here, you know, I, did, I actually, actually didn't put... Uh, together the, the symbolism of that one shot we get of Casca before the episode changes of her taking her armor off. I mean, obviously what's happening here is she's slowly revealing herself as, uh, you know, she is a woman underneath all these things. She, she, she wants to be a, a female warrior and, but you know, the, she can't hide the fact that she's a woman here. It's, it's, it's staring her in the face. It's scary. It's staring guts in the face. She has no clothes. She's on her period. She can't deny the fact that she is a woman and that she is, she does have it. This, this, this yeah, and guts says some pretty harsh things to her. Yeah, too. he says some piggish things because he's mad at her, and it's sort of you know it it they directly contrast yeah. it with what Adon was saying to her. Yeah, so right. it, it hits you know like it directly hits where it does you know. Um. And we go go direct kind of directly into the flashback. What is it that sets her off exactly? Um into the into the flashback. I'd forgotten. Oh, he Gus asks her, What why did you join the band of the hawk? And she said it was because of Griffith. And then she explains where she came from, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. 
basically a pedophile noble had came to the town and her parents sold her because it's uh, easier for them to have one less mouth to feed and also gives her the chance at a better life. But yeah, and they lived on a, yeah. I think they lived on a border town. So they were constantly yeah. being, you know, yeah. Rated destroyed in the crossfire. Right. Yeah. It's a good point. She's a casualty of war. Basically her whole town is, uh, and of course the guy tries to rape her, tears her shirt off. Uh, Griffith appears, slices the guy's ear off in one swoop. Swoop. I love his line as well. You know, it's the it's the visuals here. We talked about it during the Griffith section. He does appear angelic, and, and Cass comments on it saying, it looked like the image of some saint adorning the wall of a church had just come to life. Uh, with a backlit, of course. Uh, and Griffith lets her take up the sword, and after taking care of the noble... Gives her the choice. Actually, she doesn't. She they, they were at a right of way, which mm-hmm. I like. Is that she shows the it shows the Falcons as pillaging the guy's stuff. In the early days, of course, they did take whatever they could, and for this, yeah. Griffith gets the opportunity to save a child and get the spoils of war. So it worked out. You know, this guy's a pedophile. Yeah, anyway. well, mean, so, yeah they were just to... robbing his yeah. heart, and Griffith is sort of this is just something he found interesting. It right, seems like off on yeah. the side of the road. Yeah, you can see it's yeah, quite I... a bit away from the actual carriage. Anyway. Uh, but I, what I like about this is it's not that Griffith employed her. He was going to leave and, the, and that she asked to come with them and that, you know, they all tell her that it'll be difficult for a girl, but, you know, and she'll have to learn. And But she chooses to take go up anyway. Well, I think the most important thing in here, I mean, from, from her perspective, is not that, you know, he saved her. Because, I mean, as she puts it, you know, he's not, you know, he wasn't the type of, you know, angel or saint that, you know, just saves you and makes it easy. He throws the sword down and gives each of them like a fair chance, essentially. Yeah. And, you know, it empowers her, you know, he put the sword in her hands and then he calmed her down. And, but, you know, the message was that, you know, he, you know, he basically took away like, you know, the control that that, you know, noble was trying to rest over her and the power, yeah. you know, like submitting her and raping her. And like, he, he put the power in her hands and showed it's her all that really- she did have that power. All it of becomes that. horribly just, ironic later. Everything you just said was is thematically consistent with the rest of the series and Griffith's character. You know, yeah. ignoring the power of nobility and, and giving, not not necessarily saving, but giving the choice to save. I think that's yeah. really cool. Uh, and it ends with a great shot of her side profile, young Casca, hair blowing in the wind. And the flashback has continued into Volume 7, which is where we're going to stop right now. Yeah. I like the second part of the flashback's a little more interesting, but yeah, it's cool to see this part as well, of course. Yeah, I like that part. Just seems very brief. Of course, it is brief because it leads into from the earlier part of the episode. Anyway, um, that is all I had to say about this part of the uh, reread. Anybody else have anything more about Volume 6 conclusion? Not really, but it's interesting. I guess it's a yeah. it's a cliffhanger again. Yeah, pretty big, pretty big one. Okay, well, we'll be back for volume seven uh, on the next reread, which mm-hmm. uh, I guess will be the next episode. Uh, I don't see any reason to stop doing these. I was thinking when Berserk comes back, if we're going to take a, take a break from the rereads to prioritize the. Uh, episode review and things like that, but I, I guess we can well, continue I mean, it's this. pretty much. I mean, it would be the same format as the uh, Gigiomak. I can't even pronounce it. I, I don't Gigi-Mak. think I ever could, but <laughs> it's pretty much be the same as what we've been doing. So, could that be too much Berserk, though? I that can never can be too, too much, much berserk, berserk on the Berserk podcast. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. too much Berserk on the Berserk podcast.
Video games. Who's playing some? Uh, well, nope. <laughs> I'm looking uh, forward to some. Yeah. I'm at this stage where, I mean, like, I got, I go through these, like, lulls where I'm not actually playing anything for I, a couple months at a time. I won't play anything, like, really seriously. Like, the last game I could I honestly really sent my teeth into was, like, Dark Souls. I'm trying to think of, was there, was there another one? Well, I'm still playing sure. Dark Souls because I'm, so uh, You don't say. You played that, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> actually, I, I was actually thinking about doing a Dark Souls podcast, and then I realized there's no way I can really truly link it to Berserk in an interesting way. Uh, I mean, maybe I could, but, um, Azil, you need to play the, uh, the DLC before we can have a big conversation. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, uh, fuck, I forgot about the DLC, man. Yeah. And, you know, there's a second one coming out. I mean, it's already out, actually. It came out today here, so. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm still fuck. playing, I'm still I'm playing gonna... Dark Souls. I'm, I'm 250 hours in now. I can't remember. Something like that. I'm on my, like, sixth character, seventh character. And, uh, that's the, that sad thing is that's less hours than I have on Diablo three <laughs> by yeah, quite a bit. <laughs> I, I, it feels like I've spent a lot more time in it, but Steam Steam keeps track of them, and that's what it says I've spent. I feel like I've spent yeah. at least four hundred in there, though. Well, you know, it's nothing. Play an MMORPG, you'll spend years. Sure, yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I, mean, I think I spent maybe I don't know eighty hours on WoW, and that was plenty for me. But anyway. Yeah, uh, I'm still finding things to appreciate about the first game. Uh, the second game is not coming out for PC until April 25th, so got a long period of waiting. So it's, for me, the game is ignoring information online, which in my circles is very difficult to do because I listen to like four podcasts and I check forums and things like that, and it's, it's really hard to to uh, dodge information uh, about the game. I'm, I'm doing my best, but. I know a lot about the mechanics of the game. I don't know the parts that I don't want to know are lore, character, and weapon kind of stuff. And I, I've been I didn't do my best to stay away from that kind of information and, and zones and things like that. I don't want to know. So, from what I've heard, it is a, a very good successor to Dark Souls, the original. Uh, people say they like it better than the first because it's a little more polished. Uh, the areas are a little more uh, complete. Two of the final ones in Dark Souls were a little kind of like ramshackle compared to the rest of the game. But it doesn't have that, this one doesn't have that consistency problem apparently. So it's good throughout. Well, we'll see, I guess. I only trust my, you know, own opinion when playing games like that. Sure. Um, I haven't been playing much more. Uh, I think I talked about Bravely Default last time I was on the sh- last time we talked, which is like maybe six episodes ago. Uh, I really hate that game now. Uh, I played the demo <laughs> and I loved the demo, played the fuck out of it. And then the full game landed. And then, uh, the problem with it is the story and the dialogue is like god awful embarrassing shit. Like, holy crap. It is, mm, man. There's a character in it that Every single scene will slip in a I sure do like women and I'm horny a lot kind of jokes and humor. Every single scene. There are scenes dedicated to that. There are sub-scenes. Like a scene will happen and there's like an optional scene. Hit Y to interact. I'm like, oh no, is it going to be another? Yep. Ooh, there sure are a lot of women in this town. I'm like, oh great. Yeah, that's the same so joke that's again. just more like a, a default trope, not a brave one. Like, mm, it's, yeah. you know, one you oh. see. There you go. But the, the mechanics of the game are really are fine. The, the battle system's great. Job system's fun. But there's zero motivation. I mean, I'm skipping through story scenes 
so much that I stopped playing. I was like, I don't even, why am I doing this? No. And, and I've, you know, looking online, it's universally reviled for its story. It's just fucking shit. So it's really disappointing because the game sold really well, had a lot of hype on it. It looks great, plays great, reads like shit. And it's just like, how do you, how do you drop a ball that bad on, on such a game like this? It's just whatever. It's really disappointing. So I stopped playing that. That's about it. Uh, well, too bad. Yep. Anybody else playing anything cool? Played anything well, cool? I've been playing, you know, Bioshock Infinite, as you know. Yeah, man. Yeah, um, I can't remember if I talked about Infinite on the show or not. It came out, it came out a year ago or so. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I always play things late, you know. <laughs> that's fine. I mean, I, didn't, I played Dark Souls like a year and a half late. Um, I like the game a lot. I, I didn't... Love it, but there were, there were certainly parts of the story that I really, really liked a lot or were very memorable. But, you know, you know, Azil knows this, but nobody else does. But like, I have a problem with the way those games play. Like, uh, I find the combat kind of boring. Uh, the different abilities aren't always useful enough to use in battle. So I just end up using the most efficient weapons, which gets me through the game fine. But then it's another half of the combat the game was designed around for you to use. So you don't necessarily need to use. Um, and you know, this is technically the sequel mm-hmm. to Bioshock, but you know it really only shares some. I mean, th- thematic parallels. You, you don't really necessarily well, need. To play you, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure it was actually intended to be a, a sequel originally. You know, because uh, as I recall, uh, Levin didn't want uh, his name to be Bioshock, but it was uh, the editor who insisted on it. You know, the publisher. It was a publisher. Yeah. Well, he, he's never he, he's never gone flat out and said. He didn't want it to be called Bioshock. He's actually tried his best to squeak out a, it's a, bi- it's always been a Bioshock game. But he, you could tell just from his interviews, it was a publisher decision. And, you know, yeah. his, his hesitancy in admitting that part is, is, is obvious. So it's plain as day on his face that it was a, it was a decision for marketing, you know. But regardless of all that bullshit, it's a game where you have a gun in one hand and superpowers in the other hand. So it's a Bioshock yeah. game, you know. <laughs> so. But yeah, I mean, to me, the setting of Bioshock is far more grand, uh, and and the, I don't, know, I found the story more interesting than in than in the original Bioshock. But uh, well, um, you know, the setting is definitely more grand and more interesting. But I'm not sure the story itself is. You know, like it's uh, it's I don't know, it's hard to say. I played, you know, this one just after the original Bioshock, which I had never finished. Yeah. So, and you know, like the story of the original, you know, I find it quite interesting. This one is a bit, like you can tell it's meant to, you know, like take the original story and, you know, Jose, the story of the first Bioshock and change it a bit, but it's the same, you know, like basic stuff, you know, like a city dominated by one guy. And of course, there's some opposition from, you know, others, like some kind of social strife. You know, and you're in the middle of it, you know, trying to achieve your own goals. But, of course, things are not as the same, you know. So all that stuff is the same, you know, but uh, with some, you know, changes. And like like, like I said, like, while the setting or at least the universe and the, what says, uh, mechanics, in, you know, implicated in it are more interesting, the story itself, I'm not sure. I'm not sure, honestly. I can't even remember a whole lot about the details of the story behind the original Bioshock. Uh, I guess I just mean, like, the overall thrust of Infinite. It resonated with me more by the end of the story than in the original game did. By the original of the first Bioshock, I, I didn't even care what happened. I was, I was not invested in it at all. But I think Elizabeth, one of the main protagonists of Infinite, really 
carries you through. I mean, wanting to know how that story ended. I mean, I, I cared about that way more than I did anything in original Bioshock. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. I can agree with that. You know, like, yeah, it's true. It kept me more, how to say. Like, you want to know how it ends. You know, yeah. you want to know how the story, you know, resolves. Even though, actually, I'd guessed, you know, most of it, you know, before the end. But, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it really is true. It really keeps you, you know, wanting more. So, yeah. I think okay. I think the, I think the game does a clever thing there. Like I told you just before, is like I had guessed the ending as well, but mm-hmm. I had discarded that theory because there's a little bit of a curveball in how it resolves. But you're saying you saw through that anyway. Like you you saw a way around that curveball. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, yeah. Either way, I still wanted to to see it. You know, like of it's course. one it's one yeah. thing to guess something or to think you you know like to have a strong you know say, feeling of how it will go. It's another thing to actually see it and see how it's done. So. Yeah, I mean the problem I have with Infinite Story mostly is the middle section. I let the strong, strong opening, strong finish, but the middle of the game has you chasing um, MacGuffins like throughout the entire story that don't really necessarily have, I mean, relevance to the rest of the story parts. They're just kind of like a lot of it feels like filler, to be honest. Some of those like grab grab the weapons cache for the rebellion. Like who gives a shit? Yeah, why are you doing that? Yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. The, 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 the main character himself is continuously questioning, you know, why he has to do that. So yeah. it's, wow. you know, yeah. That's never a good sign. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's why, I mean, to me, that's why it's always been a game I never raved about because I really love the beginning and ending, but there's so much crap in the middle that it's hard for me to say, oh, go out and play this game and, well, I heard a lot of raving about like the story and oh, it's a big achievement and everything. But I heard other people say, you know, there's some problematic stuff in there if you read it. If you want to read into it, you know, too much and aggrandize it, there's also potentially some yeah. pitfalls in it too. Like you know, and you know, I don't know who was saying it was like this greatest thing ever. You know, like what the sources were. Was it people that usually played? You know, like sort of, you know, games with better stories or was it people that were like, well, I tried this after Call of Duty and oh my god, you know, this is, <laughs> this is the most thoughtful thing ever, you know. I think I said in my post, my, my I think I had a really quick review that I think I said I thought that was a big achievement for game storytelling. I, I still do. But, um, I mean, I play I play all sorts of games, but uh, yeah. I can't remember the point I was going to make. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's a, I don't know if it's a specifically great achievement for storytelling. You know, like a no. Is it an achievement because it's like it's getting recognition? Like it was, it sold well. It was, po- it's popularizing because I mean, a lot of games yeah. have had a lot of great storytelling that you know is just sort of unheralded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's a. Gr- I think it's. A, I think it's a pretty good game. You know, like maybe even a great game. But yeah, like you said, Griff, there, there are problems with the story if you want to look into it. You know, I'm the kind of guy who. I don't know who say look at the details, you know, and uh, there, are, there are things, if you think about it, there are things that don't make sense or who can, you know, how to say, that don't really work with the way the universe is set up to work. But, you know, that's like, that's the case also for many stories. Yeah. But, uh, particularly yeah. one, particularly one whose background and lore are explained through recordings you have to literally hunt down in the world. Yeah, yeah. And the thing, it's not just that, but it's a way that, like, you know, quantum physics, Quantum mm-hmm. mechanics, you know, are, are implicated, you know, like, you know, that's a, at the core of the game. And, you know, the thing is, like, it's one thing to have read a book about it. It's another thing to be a physicist, you know. And uh, I, I don't think the people who wrote the story were physicists or really understood things. Like, you know, they just use, it's like, you know, it's a cool tech word to replace, you know, with magic. But, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, it doesn't really just work like that. And some of the things that put in the game, you know, don't really work, you know, if you look into them, you know, if you look at them in detail. But... 
Yeah, in any case, I think, you know, the global package is pretty cool, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> so, I mean, I guess the, kind of the noteworthy thing about you playing at the time you did, I mean, you did this unbeknownst to yourself, but you, you started this down this path of playing Bioshock and then Infinite as the studio was closing. So, like, um, uh, I'm, I'm lapsing on their name right now. Um, Irrational Games. Thank you, Irrational Games closed down, like, while you were starting Infinite, which is... Like suddenly, Irrational's back in the headlines because uh, mm-hmm. they lost like a hundred and hundred and fifty people or something like that. Were yeah, closed down. Uh, they said it was basically because Levine wanted to shift gears into a smaller scale uh, story, but it, it seemed to me more like it could have had um, sales implications as well. Like it didn't sell quite as much. I and mean, it was a six. It was a six year development cycle for that game, and most games wow. are two or three years. So it's already well, done with that. You know, I think it did sell pretty well, but I think it's also because like. He's not, you know, right now, I, I've read a few of his interviews and mm-hmm. he, he was, you know, uh, quite, how to say, disappointed that at the fact that, like, you play Infinite once and you, you don't replay it because yeah. uh, you already know the story, so there's very little replayability to it. And he was actually bothered by that quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And so he, he's been, you know, uh, wanting to do a type of single player game because that's his thing. Whereas there's a very high replayability, you know. And so, like, this new thing is opened is pretty much, it's more like a think tank than a, than a studio, you know. And he wants to explore that kind of stuff, replayability in single player games. So I think, you know, they've let these people off because they, they had nothing more to make them work on after, you know, the DLCs for Infinite. And I think they are going to tinker away on that concept of his. Until they find, you know, something good and then they hire more people and more people to start a, what say, a proper development for a big title again. Well, I mean, he even said that he, he, he's thinking more small scale now. I and mean, one of the letters he read to his employees, uh, before the firing or the laying off was announced was that mm. he, he doesn't envision himself working under a massive team again. And that he's thinking of small scale and he's not sure who fits into that design wow. anymore. Wow. Okay. Well, why not? But, uh, yeah. But uh, I mean, again, this is a difficult game for me to recommend. But I, I liked it mostly. But I guess it didn't really exceed my expectations, really, very much. Yeah, well, it's the same here. I think, I think, very simply, I think more could have been done with it. You know, yeah. like it's, you know, it's not often you find some things that really exceeds what you expected. Mm-hmm. And uh, this one, yeah, it wasn't the case. Like you know, it was, it was great in parts and lacking in others. And uh, I, I feel like more could have been done with it. Yeah. And also for all the coolness of the floating city, I think the atmosphere of, you know, rapture from the original Bioshock is not matched in this game. Well, totally. Know? I mean, the, the the problem is with rapture, uh, the the atmosphere is all encompassing because it's all around you. You constantly see visions of, through the through the water and things like that throughout the entire game. With with infinite, it's more like you look up, there's a sky. You're in the sky. You're not constantly reminded of that. That's not like a super big factor in the game, you know? Yeah. Visually, it's it's less unique. There's less claustrophobia and there's less, you know, like you're not playing hide and seek with the, with the enemies like it is with the the splicers, you know? Yeah, even the splicers, you know, when they were, you know, like, you know, talking to themselves in the dark, you know, that kind of stuff. It's very, you know, special and, uh. It's a much more atmospheric game too, the original Bioshock was, I thought. Yeah. So that's why that's one of the parts where this one is uh, a letdown in that yeah. it's much less like that. You fight, you know, one thing that, uh, what's say, you know, uh, that I noticed is that, you know, in the original Bioshock, you're fighting most of the time, 
in a you know hot close range and this one you know like almost all the game i was just shooting people from far away with the sniper you know mm-hmm. sniper rifle or just a carbine or whatever but i was just shooting them from afar from hiding behind a block or something yeah that's not very engaging to me but and I, I, you say you like sniping I, I don't like sniping personally well you know yeah i like sniping it's funny but you know either way it was less you know how to say less brutal less intense yeah. actually yeah less intense yeah well, we've talked a lot about Infinite. Um, Griff, are you, are you playing anything else, Zeal? Pretty much slog. What's your next big game? Well, I think I'm going to play the DLCs for okay. Infinite, you know, Burial at Sea. And uh, after that, you know, I plan to, to do Dark Souls 2. But actually, yeah, I should also finish Dark Souls DLC first. So, you know, yeah, there's that. And then there's Shovel Knight, who's, you know, coming out, you know, as the oh, end of the month. Oh, is that finally coming out? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it was... Yeah, it was delayed two weeks, I think. So, yeah, yeah. yeah but, uh, yeah, it's just been in development for a year, you know. So, I mean, since uh, Kickstarter, so it's not that big. And, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I guess I'll, uh, I'll look for that one. It's coming to 3DS, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And that's a version I've, uh, I've chosen for my, uh, you know, Kickstarter yeah. plot. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, but you can get to that Dark Souls DLC in, like, a day tops two two days max. I mean, well, the thing is, you know, I haven't uh, played the game as much as you did. I haven't played it in like I think a year, maybe. So okay. I I should get back into it, and uh, you know, like I, I'm playing with my first character. You know, I'm like it's my you know new game plus. You yeah, know? yeah. So that's good know. though. That's I mean, it's it's good that it's new game plus because you can burn through that early content. Pretty yeah. easily to get to where well, you need to go. I, I, I'll try to do that. I forgot where I, I'm. I am right now. I think I'm at. Uh, fuck, where am I? I think I got to the blacksmith. That's before, that's good. Yeah. Before I stopped, so yeah, I'll try to to blast through it. But uh, I don't know. I'll see. Okay. Griff, you've uh, we talked about a little about Diablo three before um, the before we started recording. So there's like this, for those that don't know, there's a patch out. That changes the way the loot works in the game, which was one of the most, you know, criticized parts of Diablo 3, for myself included, was loot no longer felt unique whenever you could just get it in the auction house. So the auction house is completely dismantled, and they've reallocated how loot is distributed by by enemies and drops and things like that. Well, what's so. interesting is that right now, I guess it's sort of a between phase. I've, I really haven't played it that much. I mean, I've, it takes a while for it to reconfigure your files, and it's like it's totally different. I heard someone, you know, I read somebody comparing it to like like Diablo Four. Basically, huh. you know, it's so different that it's just like a completely new game, and uh, you know, different difficulty settings and the way they work and the way you do your settings and you know the the powers are different now. The, the the your gear that you had has changed, you know, and the way that drops work has changed. It's all geared towards getting legendary drops and rares and powerful things in the game and no more of the auction house. But the auction house is still there, so I guess theoretically this is like until they close it in a few days, and it's literally I think like the 18th or something, that, you know, people might be buying and trading those. But, yeah, so I don't know. I mean, that's kind of on my radar. Like, am I going to get Reaper of Souls? I'm in no rush, so, I mean, I'll wait to see if I can get a, a deal on it or something. And just, uh, But I haven't really explored how it's different, other than I've heard it is. I mean, it's it's. I've got my, you know, high-level character that I was playing, and so it's a little disheartening to, you know, go in there. And he's. I've been building him and gearing him, you know, specifically with this build in mind, and now it's, like, probably 
it's it's useless. Or I mean, he still seemed really powerful, but it wasn't you know smooth. It wasn't you know, I don't know. It just it wasn't like the way I had built it. So I'm gonna have to get used to that if I keep playing it. I thought I'm, you stopped. I thought you stopped playing after your character died. You know, like yeah, I, I discussed that one. before the show. Yeah, that that sort of <laughs> that that takes the wind out of your sails. And another depressing fact about that is now I'll never be able to beat Diablo on Inferno because there is no Inferno anymore on Hardcore Inferno, I should say. Why did they change the names of everything? I I don't know. Why'd you do it, it, Griff? I don't know why I did it. I don't know. (laughs) No, I mean, it was was dumb because I read the new difficulty names. And I guess they work differently, too. I mean, they just, I don't know. It seems like they've added more more dials and buttons in settings, you know, which makes it seem more complicated, but I don't know if it really is. But it's, it's supposed to be different and better. But I don't know if it's one of those things where it's it's sort of hype. You know, everyone's saying, oh, this is so much better, but it's like, okay, well, it's purporting to be so much better, so is this, like, just the review cycle, you know, system, you know, where it's like, we've made all these changes to make it better, and that's being echoed until people, you know, fans play it and go, eh, whatever. <laughs> It's Isn't so really funny better. that, like, you know, just two years ago, there was, like, really uh, very few action RPGs like Diablo 3 out. And now it's like there's so many of them. There's Path of Exile, Diablo 3 is being retooled. There's, um, what's it called? Uh, Torchlight. Torchlight 2. Torchlight um, 2. The one, there's the other one that's like a steampunk one done by the guys that made Titan Quest. I can't remember the name of it off. Path They've of Dawn. There's all those... Game loft ones for cell phones too. Those cheap yeah, things. I mean it's like a I mean there's a huge amount of options. And before it was like Diablo, Diablo two, Titan Quest, and that was well, it. You know what? You They're know? actually, I, I mean, if you like look up like lists of like you know Diablo two, you know games in that vein. There's actually a lot of them. They're just not very big. Okay. Like you know there's there's all these there was all these old games. I forget the names of them for play. Like you'll hear people that are really into these action RPGs. Like oh the best one, my favorite is this one, and it's. It's like Diablo 2, but it's set in, it's like got Greek mythology. Yeah, and it's, it's Titan like, Quest. Yeah. And uh, so, but I guess there's, and there's other ones besides Titan Quest and all those. And it's, uh, but I don't know, it's, it's like one of these things where who wants to play like 15 different versions of this, you know? <laughs> where it's, it's like, it, think- it kind of reminds me of the predicament that these companies are placing themselves in with things like Dota and Dota clones. There's like so many of them. That mm. it's 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 the kind of game where you want to invest a lot of time in and learning. Yeah, yeah so, so you don't want to. You, you need to pick one. Exactly. Like. Yeah. But there's like 15 options, so like the companies are going to be squandering their resources. Uh, but fans will probably just pick one. Like it seems to be spread yeah. between like League of Legends and Dota Two, and others are kind of like has like what two percent, five percent of the player population, or something like that. Anyway, um, I, to me, I guess my point in saying all that is like. Even though Diablo 3 is being retooled, if, if I was going to re-enter that genre, I think I would just jump to Path of Exile, personally, because I, I really, really like... That would probably be the safe bet. I mean... Yeah. I, mean, I really just, like what I I'm really invested... In, here's the ironic thing. I'm really invested in Diablo 3, so that would be the one I, you know, pick back up. Except that because they've changed it so much, it's like all my investment is, you know, sure. kind of been put by the wayside, so it's like, why, why would I? And I don't really want to you know, jump into Paths of Exile and go through the whole thing again where it's like, oh, am I going to drop that many hours mm-hmm. into such a similar, you know, kind of game, even if it's a better version. After having played Diablo 2 and everything else, in, uh, you know, I've, I've had a, like, it feels like a lifetime's worth. Yeah. Path of Exile plays like Diablo 2.5, honestly. It looks yeah. and plays like that, really similar to. You could tell what they based it on, basically. Yeah. 
Um, I guess I kind of wanted to end the show, but it's kind of plugging True Detective. I'm not going to be too hyperbolic about it. Uh, I think the I think the most hyperbolic thing I've ever said about the show is uh, it's like probably one of three shows in the past decade that have kind of stuck around in my head after I finished watching the episode. You know, it's not just like uh, like a soft drink or like a candy or something like that. It, it has some meat to it. Um, the, the thing that was funny about the show is. It's all written in one setting, or one, it was. It was not written as the series progressed. It was written once, and they filmed it, and then they put it out. There was no, oh, people are reacting this way. Well, let's, let's highlight this character. There was no reactionary writing done. It was one story, and it's told honestly throughout the entire thing consistently. And so that's one aspect I really like about it. But you can also tell what kind of backfired for them towards the end of the series, I think. I mean, this is kind of like a meta discussion, probably only relevant for people that have seen it. I mean, no spoilers. I'm just saying, like... Once you get to the finale, it's probably not quite as climactic as you think it would be, given well, how huge the series got by the end. Like, by the end, yeah. True Detective was on the, – the name itself was everywhere, everywhere, everywhere on Twitter and Facebook and everything, you know. But the, the, the story that it was telling was relatively small-scale, given the it's audience. It's kind of a it, small, simple story. Yeah, right? to, totally. Was, yeah. yeah, and that's – so – in the end, you, you you can think of it as being anticlimactic until you kind of step back and realize this is all written by one guy in the very back, you know, like so this before is, this the whole is the thing story happened. they set to, set out to tell. Right, so right, they didn't right. get caught up in the hype, which is you know that's kind of neat. Aziel was telling me that he's opting out of any True Detective information, and I'm trying to tell him that I'm not spoiling anything about it at all. Oh well, the, you know, we're pretty much done. <laughs> yep. So I mean, I, I understand. Is it better than Breaking Bad? (laughs) (laughs) Um, um, um. I mean, you know, hey, it must be because it only took it a couple of weeks to get the hype. It took Breaking Bad four years of quality to get. I mean, right? (laughs) I hate hate the idea of comparing them. I think it's stupid. I think, like, is Twin Peaks or Breaking Bad the better show? Like, uh, they're so fucking different. It's bizarre to compare them. The only reason they're being compared is because they came out relatively recently. You know, that's really it. Breaking Bad's the last, you know, BMOC, big man on campus. And then True Detective comes out. What are you doing, True Detective? You trying to off Walter White? You know, like, why is that the initial reaction to people? It's just weird. I think Az should have to watch Breaking Bad before he watches True Detective. That's all I'm saying. That's not going to happen, man. You've got like 60 episodes to go. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I'll watch True Detective. I'm actually planning to to watch it uh, pretty soon. But uh, yeah, Breaking Bad is just long, you know. So I don't know. Let me do that. Well, I guess. Uh, see ya. All right, man. See ya. I'm gonna edit the show. Yeah. Bye. <laughs>